That's great. Wow, where'd you get that? I found it. I mean, you found it. It died in the jungle. I found it. Don't worry, it's fine. It's only been dead three hours. Why? Uh, he's got a knife. A knife? You need a knife? Oh, it's over by the Cuisinart next to the stove. What's your problem? My problem is we don't have a knife. We don't have anything. And it wouldn't even matter if we did, because Bernie the dentist can't even start a fire. And ease up there, Frobert. It's Neil, you inbred. And I'm not going to ease up, because I'm tired, and I'm hungry, and I'm screwed. We're all Calm screwed. down, Neil. We're going to get through this. How are any of us going to get through this? Did you hear what I just said? We can't even get fired! go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recap socket season five episode two the lie i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by mike bloom who's right over there next to the cuisinart or should i say the cuisinart <laughs> unfortunately well i guess <laughs> so if we're talking about more gawkers going down uh, and someone screaming run and much like we talk about the lie neil frogert is lying in the sand right now because a hair an arrow hit him in his stupid chest while he was complaining about not times, having the cuisinart he gets like skewered with arrows this is the, the this is the infamous uh let's kill everyone from 815 who didn't die in the barracks in a rain of fire arrows episode <laughs> Yeah, uh, with the exception of Billy and Rodney, who unfortunately essentially uh, confirmed each other's deaths yes. due to their own hubris and overweening pride. They didn't even make, didn't it, make it to it. the fire errors. Yeah, that would have been iconic, alas. Uh, so that's it for Frogert. That's all she wrote. Uh, but season five is just getting started, as we like to say here around these post-show recaps parts, Mike Bloom. This is the second half of the two-hour premiere that happened for season five, though it is an, uh, it's an its own individual episode. It's not part two of the premiere, but this yeah. did initially air the same night as Because You Left, and we've broken these up into two podcasts. Does it, does it play any differently for you, uh, like, in, in ISO, as you like it when I say? <laughs> yeah, so... I think there are benefits and drawbacks to putting them together. I think the benefit is when you pair these together as one two-hour block, I think you really get the whole of the entire ensemble represented, right? Last time we talked so much about how, okay, we're really concentrating on all the timey-wiminess happening on the island, and we're really not concentrating as much on the Oceanic Six. This time we essentially reverse that, right? The the vast majority of, of focus is on what's going on with the Oceanic Six in 2007, and we get maybe two or three scenes back on the island. So I can understand when you're balancing the season out, how these two episodes would actually pair really nicely together. That being said, I'm sure this is not going to spoil our ratings. I think this is a step down from Because You Left. Maybe it's also because 
It does an odd job. You know, you you end with such a big cliffhanger of, okay, Desmond now ha- is involved with everything despite his protestations and has to get to Los Angeles. We don't really follow up on that whatsoever until the next episode. It almost feels like we take a brief intermission from that to focus on some other stuff and some other cliffhangery elements to it. So I think there are some good things about keeping these two episodes together. But I just like because you left so much that I would almost like prefer to keep it separated. And I don't want to use the term untainted because, again, I enjoyed the lie. For sure. Just not as much as because you left. Yeah. So I I really liked watching this episode this week. And I think it it was an episode that like I, I don't think that I've spent this much time like individually on the lie because I don't know that I've ever really experienced other than in. In the weekly airing, you know, and and it's a very different experience when you're watching season five the first time um, because you don't have the benefit of knowing everything else. But every time I've gone back and revisited season five with the benefit of knowing either the entirety of season five or the rest of the show, um, it has been, you know, in quick succession. It hasn't been on the weekly. Um, So now it's a a different pace for me. And I Mm. think because of that. I had a really great time sort of stopping down and appreciating this episode as a Hugo Reyes character study. Uh, yeah. It's a really strong Hurley episode, I think. Um, there's a lot going on here, a lot thematically about the ideas of like trusting people, leaps of faith, uh, which is so prevalent throughout <laughs> throughout Lost, and the reward of just hearing the words, I believe you. I don't understand you, but I believe you. Um, there's just some beautiful things going on there. And then I, I really do love... I'm a sucker for, like some of like the missed connections in the um in the 2007 timeline in the off island stuff. So you're talking about pulling out of the gas station yeah, and pulling into I'm the a, gas station. I'm a total sucker for that stuff. I think that's fun, but also I I love like sort of like the strange context of seeing Jack with Saeed at a hospital. Saeed's in like full assassin mode. Jack is the recovering drug addict and alcoholic who's trying to go back, and he's the man on the mission at this point. Like to see all of these like disparate pieces colliding together after a season full of glimpses into this future. And now we're in that world. I'm just a total sucker for it. So I really, really enjoyed watching this episode. I think that the lie is. Um, like a very, very solid, solidly good episode of Lost. Agreed. That um, speaks to like, this is sort of like baseline quality level uh, for, for season five for me. I think like most of the season is about this good, which is why I think this season is pretty great. So let's talk about the Hurley aspect, because this is going to be, I think, his sixth centric episode. And I really like what they focus around here, because like we've talked about with every Hurley episode, right? This is... Planting seeds, whether intentionally or not, for this big reveal in the end that Hurley is going to be the new leader of the island and he's arguably going to be the best leader that they've ever had. I think this is a great uh, indicator of that as well. Less so about his leadership, but I think more so uh, just a reminder of Hurley's morality, maybe, and also the fact that he does have people who love him, who believe him, uh, not even believe in him, but just like believe him as a person. That's, again, going to bear a lot of fruit later on. It also made me realize, though, obviously this is going to be the the lone Hurley-centric episode of season five. I feel like outside of this, please illuminate for me, Josh, I guess besides like the Empire Strikes Back stuff and, and some like it Hoth, 
Are there any other big Hurley moments in season five? Big Hurley moments in season five. Well, there is going to be like he is he sort of becomes our next avatar for the whatever happened happened stuff. Um, right. Because he's going to have a lot of questions about that um, for for Miles. I, I feel like for Faraday as well. There is the some like it Hoth uh, aspect. Um, but I think it's a fairly low key Hurley season. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think this might be the lightest we go on Hurley and Lost since the beginning of season one, when they're like, oh, this guy's a fan favorite. Let's let's build him out more. And so I, I think it's a unique choice. Maybe it's just, you know, obviously this is going to be a big Sawyer season, a big Juliet season, a big Jack season, big Locke season, big Ben season, etc. And as a result, you maybe dial down a bit more on some other characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we talked about this with Desmond, that I think Desmond gets a bit of a dialing back as well, that it's just a yeah. consequence of that. But I think it's it's I think it's interesting. I didn't really it's notice tracking, that yeah. before in context. Yeah, I think that that's a great point, and I hadn't really thought about it that way either, but I think you're right. I think that this is definitely going to be like the biggest Hurley content that we get until uh until everybody loves hugo yeah it's uh, well there's gonna be definitely a, important stuff with hurley in the final you know he's got the guitar case and what's going on yeah. with the guitar case and you know he's gonna he's gonna be involved in things but i feel like the show does have other priorities this season so getting getting a lot of hurley material done out of the gate i think is is a is an important thing if they're not going to spend a lot of time focusing on him elsewhere throughout the season. Um, and I think that they do a really good job here. And I think like he is the perfect character to sort of like filter through this idea of like the toll that has been taken upon the Oceanic Six for the decision that they made uh, right. to, to lie about the past and to lie about where you know what happened to them. And um, not just because he's the audience surrogate, though certainly for that reason. But also because of where he's going to land, I think like showing like this like deeply, deeply human guy who is like very sad and troubled and overwhelmed by it uh, and insistent. I'm not crazy. You know, like I feel like there's just a lot going on with the character this week that speaks to his ultimate arc. You know, we talked about this during numbers. We've talked about this a few times throughout the run of like it's really fun to watch Lost when you filter it through the lens of Hurley's the main character. Yeah. It's a really strong Hurley's the protagonist episode, I think. Absolutely, because he really is the bleeding heart at this point, right? And, and we, we'll get into it right in the no, beginning of the Froger. episode. It's also like a charred yeah. heart. Yeah. Well, that's more like a burn, a <laughs> bleeding and charred heart, if yeah. you will. Um, my favorite way of preparing them. But I think that being able to also digest some of these things through his own character, right? Like, even we'll get into it. Even the characters like Saeed, who has a really great EQ, is still saying things like, well, we have to keep up this lie. This is what we're supposed to do. And I think that they've we've seen through those glimpses in the flash forwards, like you've said, how much has the guilt of what's happened had a bearing on characters? We have certainly seen it on Jack, but I don't think we we see it maybe as recognized or as, like, I don't know, maybe maybe Jack's is a little more stereotypical in the regard of, like, he finds it at the bottom of a bottle, yeah. right? Hurley is less so finding a, a coping mechanism. I guess you can call Santa Rosa a coping mechanism, but there, there's a little bit different types of emotional digestion going on with what Hurley has been going through, especially when now he sort of ends up becoming not necessarily, like, an action hero, but becoming Harrison Ford in The Fugitive for an entire episode. <laughs> what, I really, what I really like about this episode as well is that 
you know, we are counting down, as Eloise Hawking says, we are 70 hours away from the window closing. And so this is also going to be the last time, assumingly, Hurley spends some meaningful time with his parents. And we know that at least David has a very big part to play in Hurley's life in the past. And so I do think, much like we said goodbye to to Mr. Paik in season four, this is a way to sort of say goodbye to some seminal people in Hurley's life and also impart onto him, I think, some things to remember as he takes up his own position of leadership in his next stage of life. Yeah, it's worth noting that we will never see David Reyes again. This is his final appearance on Lost. The lie, Cheech is leaving the show after this. Uh, a very strong last look at David Reyes, I think, for sure. Luckily, we will see Carmen Reyes again, so we don't have to say oh, goodbye so if to we don't say them, yet. Luckily, no David Reyes, which then implies that we're not going to experience them, you know, knocking boots <laughs> yeah. anytime soon. Hugo, uh, I have needs. Um, <laughs> Mike, you mentioned uh, the countdown quality that's happening on Lost as we are pushing in towards that 70-hour window to go back to the island. Uh, This is a good opportunity to let people know. Last week, we mentioned if we cross 500 patrons of post-show recaps, we will unlock a 24-season-1 recap podcast here on post-show recaps. I'm pleased to say that we have indeed crossed that threshold. We are launching the 24-season-1 recap podcast called Worst Day Ever. It's happening. Uh, We will be launching that at the start of June. So make some space on your podcast feeds. Not too much. They're designed to be very short podcasts. And they're <laughs> the, like the exact opposite of down the hatch. I would are, say what like a, a tenth of the length of down the they hatch. They are like actively designed to be 24 minute long podcasts, basically. So they're gonna be short. They're gonna be really, really, really short, but they're gonna be really, really, really fun. And I know famous last words and all that. We'll see how it goes. Uh let's let's then also sleep on the fact that we po- crossed a very meaningful milestone, five hundred patrons of post show recaps uh let's play let's play some celebration music everybody with me drinks on me hey y'all who you came with who you leaving with this my line everybody with me hey y'all who you came with who you leaving with everybody with me drinks on me hey y'all who you came with who you leaving with five hundred we came with no patrons at the start uh we're not leaving with the nope. 500 patrons, we're we're going to stay at the club until we've hit 500,000. <laughs> until so, uh, the sun comes up. Yeah, everybody come with us. Do you like Mike Bloom? Do you like me? Do you want to nope. hang? <laughs> let's, let's not ask that question to hang- the universe, please. Do you want to hang out with me and Mike? Well, consider signing up. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. If you sign up at the Discord level, Bloom and I are very there this whole past week in honor of Pierre Chang. Uh, we've been waiting. Waking up the patrons at 8.15 in the morning, uh, just as uh, Pierre Chang likes to wake up. We haven't really yeah. been waking people up, but we've been in the Down the Hatch channel, just having lost conversations at 8.15, like basically every morning with a few exceptions. And- Many illuminating conversations specifically about the alarm setting habits. I have learned <laughs> yeah, so, much. so much. Sincerely, sincerely thank you to everyone A who reached out to me. education for Mike Bloom. <laughs> I mean, I think I realize that it really comes down to like who you are as a sleeper. Yeah. I have gone into like infinitely complicated sleep schedules slash alarm settings, and I've gone into other people that are just like, yeah, I set one and then I get up. So it yeah. just proves how we are truly a multifaceted species. Uh, but we've got a lot going on there. So consider signing up at that 
that Patreon at that Discord level for the Patreon, patreon.com slash post show recaps. But we do want to just thank everybody who pushed us to that threshold to get that 24 podcast going. They're going to be really easy listening, very fun, designed for people who both know the show inside and out, but also are new to it. It's spoiler free, but in that cheeky way that I do where I know the thing and I'm winking at the people who've seen the show. So you'll be fine. I think everybody's going to really enjoy it. You don't even have to watch 24. We'll tell you what's going on. And I think that you'll still enjoy the podcast. So look out for that. That's going to be coming your way starting June 1st. Uh, so plenty of time uh, to get your to get your feedback in. You can email that to me, josh at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, we'll also let you know once that podcast is up, all of like, the appropriate like subscription info, where to find the podcast, all of that good stuff, Mike. Um, with all of that said... Uh, I, I suppose we should also note that if you're uh, if you're a patron of Post Show Recaps, we've talked about this a little bit at that five dollar patron feed podcast level. You're getting down the hatch two days early, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a real it's a real win win. Uh, you can you can you know stay where you are and you're getting down the hatch at the normal time that you're used to. Or if you want to time travel a little bit, you can get down the hatch just a couple days early if you sign up. Patreon.com/slash Post Show recaps um let's talk about the lie mike yeah let's do it so yeah as you said josh aired same day was literally right after because you left happened uh january 21st 2009 directed by jack bender written by kittis and hurlwitz they are the experts on hurley at this point right and this is hurley's sixth centric episode though i guess again the the term centric should really be in quotations i mean we'll we'll get into this to start season five has this very unique storytelling device as we mentioned before but this is the first episode where we're really going to focus on like one big flashback scene and then everything else is sort of like mishmash right the idea of flashbacks occur in the very first scene to set up what's going to happen in the episode but the rest of it is really going to jump around our main two stories we're not going to intersperse flashbacks throughout it's almost like we are the centric you know what I mean? Like we're the ones who are jumping through time, um, mm. rather than the characters, like sort of um, like having experiences in the present that are either reflective of their past or predictive of their future. It's us who are seeing the ways in which stories are happening in two different timelines, in- impacting the show. Like we're the ones who get to go on that wide spanning adventure as opposed to like getting that level of individual character introspection. And I think it's probably the right choice, at least for this portion of the season. It changes yeah. the calculus shifts um, once everybody is sort of back on the same page. And that's where we start getting a few more of like the more flashback right. uh, type we're, we're of episodes. Get, we get the variable. We get some. Oh, like, yeah. Hot. 316 is is like this. Uh, LaFleur is like this. Um, he's our you is a Saeed flashback episode. Some like it. Hoth is a Miles flashback episode. Whatever happened, happened is a Kate flashback episode. So like we do go back to something of uh, something resembling a conventional um, form of storytelling. It's just that like the now like those flashbacks are filling in the gaps of things that have like happened after so much of like the main action of the show that like we're just like so locked in to like the center of these characters lives i think that that's the thing in this season mm. that is all about like timey wiminess as the great ben uh, behind the curtain loves to say 
Um, we're just like, we've never been more locked into the modern present moments of these characters. And I think that that's reflected in the storytelling structure, whether that's we're not really doing flashbacks or flash forwards right now for the characters so much as we are for us as the viewer going back and forth between these different timelines or later on in the season when we do start doing that stuff, we're really just kind of examining their like immediate past uh, for the mm. for the vast majority of the characters, not for all of them, but for most of them. What I also noticed, though, is that we're still using the timpanis, which I find interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's more so to take us back to the stuff on island. It's I think helpful. Yeah. It's helpful, to your point. I think it's really to say, like, just a reminder. Yeah, what they're doing right now is technically in the past. So we're, we're going to delineate. This is not happening in, this is not happening in 2007. So it's a rather unique version where it's not saying, okay, this is cueing the flashback for this particular character. This is more so saying, okay, we're, we're taking a jump back to the past, but it's more so because these characters are existing now back in the past because the island is blipping through time. Yeah. I think it's smart. I think it makes a lot of sense to do it that way rather than just like have Daniel Faraday give us a different metaphor every single week, I think is helpful. Should, should it be a record scratch? Like, <laughs> yeah, babe. was that Tim Allen? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Bringing that guy to fix this. Oh F- my fix God. my time stream, Tim Allen, please. No, no. Fix my time stream. Saul the Joman. I'd rather have Saul here. I don't need, I don't even like Tim Allen anymore. Home improvement well, is fine. Uh, I could drill it. I'll bring in Al Cowlings. No, that's it, not, not Al Cowlings. Al Cowlings is not the guy on Home Improvement. Yeah, you're talking about Al Borland. How could you get that wrong? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mix it up as the Man who, the man who helped drive, speaking of high-speed chases, okay? helped transport O.J. Right? Simpson. You all right? You okay? Uh, all right, why don't we go back to the moment that the lie is conceived. It's the way that the episode starts three years ago. Everybody with me on the boat, they're drinking, uh, what are these? Uh, they're called like Jekyll's, these beers? Jekyll's Island yeah, beer? I think this is sort of like the Let's Potato Chips or the Apollo bars, because I believe these beers were seen on like Dexter. It's that generic, hey, we can't use a brand because we're not sponsored so let's sort of bring up this uh, generic corona-esque drink that frankly Pete is going to use to both drink and cool himself on the boat here i was thinking though that yeah it's like sort of like generic tv show brand beer jekyll island um but it's also like there's a jekyll and hyde quality to uh to the the the, the most prominent dead character on the show right now john Locke mm-hmm. this season uh, so I was just trying to connect this. I mean, there. duality is a theme throughout Lost sure. as well, right? And this is that's a theme of Jekyll and Hyde. It's less so about the the one is dark and one is light. That's more so about like behaviorally the two oppositions. But it also could mean something that we're about to get into this clip, right? About how maybe Hurley feels uh, having to undergo this lie for three years has transformed him from the mild mannered Doctor Jekyll to the more beastly, sinister Mister Hyde. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's listen in. Really great scene that kicks off this whole episode. Dude, they'll find out. Not if we stick to the story. I don't know, Jack. It could be a risk. It's the only way we have to do this. They're still at it, huh? Look, we're running out of time. We've got to make a decision now. So are we all okay with this? This is a decision that will affect the rest of our lives. I'm not taking it lightly. Kate? Yeah. Son? Frank? What? Sorry you got dragged into this, but we need to know that you're with us. Whatever you guys decide, I'll just roll with. Hurley, what about you? 
I don't think we should lie, dude. We need to protect the people that we left behind, Harley. How's lying protect them? It protects them from Charles Widmore. The guy hired a boatload of people to kill all of us. He faked a plane crash. I mean, you think telling him the truth, he's just gonna, he's gonna leave them alone? Look, he's your dad, right? Can't you just like, call him off? There's no calling my father off. But you'll never find him. I mean, the island disappeared. We all saw it. It's gone. Bloop. Anyone's gonna believe that. Believe any of it. They're gonna think you're crazy. Now someone backs me up. Said, come on. I think I'm nuts if I tell the truth, but what if we all do? And if we can stick together, we can make them believe us. I don't wanna spend the rest of my life lying, do you? No. But I don't believe we have a better choice. Sorry, honey, but we have to lie. You know what, dude? I'm gonna remember this. And someday you're gonna need my help, and I'm telling you right now. You're not getting it. It has very much the tone of... I am not getting on that plane. No. And then, like, cut, yeah. cut to, oh, I'm on the plane. I'm on the plane. No. Yeah, I do love the uh, the moment where uh, he's like, I'm not going to help you. Cut to him helping Saeed. Just driving it's, it's, it's a great use of quote-unquote flashback, right? And you you might think that uh, Hurley using the onomatopoeia bloop is just a great Hurley-ism. But I believe it actually has scientific root Josh, uh, because I guess in 1997, maybe it's because I've been studying so much weird science stuff due to the X-Files that I've been watching. There was back in 97, there was like this, uh, this bloop sound that was detected in the ocean as it were. And people were trying to say like, Oh, this is a sound we've never heard before. Is it some sort of creature? Is it something completely alien to us? I believe it was like shifting ice as it were, but it's speaking towards, again, a lot of continental divide and drift going on, this more so from a personal perspective. Yeah, um, I think that there's there's a lot that I love about this um, this whole sequence. Um, we talked about this a little bit during the season four finale of like, man, I wish I could have seen like more of that week, you know, yeah. the week on the boat. And so the fact that we get to like gesture at it in this scene is great, like, can you imagine just being like on the on like the on the deck of that ship, chugging Jekyll's Islands with Frank Lapidus and Saeed? Uh, you know, like any like any number of character combinations here. Like I feel like that whole week is just like the stuff of fanfic gold. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a matchup of characters that again we're going to see when they come back together, but it's a very unique snapshot, right? It's also weird because we. We sort of yada yada. We'll get into this next week. We sort of yada yada over Desmond getting back together with Penny, right? We sort of like, and they're back together, and then they're married a few years later. I would have loved to see some more time spent with them on the boat. I would love to hear maybe Penny talk to them more about Charles Widmore, considering none of them really know who he is. Their 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 source of Charles Widmore is in another direction at this point. It's going to pop up in the middle of the desert, and there's just so many unique pairings uh, that. You know, even like a Kate and Son check-in, right? Because in this scene, when Jack asks Son, okay, uh, 
you know, do you agree? She doesn't say anything. She's clearly still incredibly shell-shocked by everything that happened aboard the Kahana and quote-unquote losing Jin. So I, feel, I agree. There's a lot of fertile ground there, and we take maybe two scoops into it i want to till that whole field baby yeah i want a, I want a, I want an all-you-can-eat ice cream buffet the two scoops aren't enough exactly i want, I want samples of every flavor i want to see you know like i want to see like desmond and hurley hanging out desmond and jack finally getting to have some time together desmond long's gonna be pretty difficult brother yeah you know like i just want to see the whole thing i want to see the whole gamut i want to see uh like uh, i want i want to see frank lapidus you know talk with penny being like i got all these theories about your dad and you're gonna sit down and hear them and she's uh, like i really don't want to talk about my father you know <laughs> i want the whole thing i want the whole meal yeah, I, I think there's a lot of really great stuff that happened here. I could also imagine from a, like a budgetary standard, though, right? They want to do this one scene here, but they're like, we can't go back to that boat over and over again. Maybe in retrospect, we could have filmed some more stuff aboard there, but we're going to spend less time in 2004 at the moment. But this really does set the table, right? Not only does it bring Frank Lapidus back into our lives, who... You know, we, I think there's been a lot of talk about how, oh, it was spoiled that Jim was going to come back because he was Daniel Day Kim was in the credits. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't believe Jeff Fahey shows up in the credits until he ends up flying a Jira. I right? actually don't know that he's a series regular until the final season. I have to double yeah, that check makes that real quick. Yeah, uh, so, like, I, but I think it's an interesting idea because he's someone who disappeared. You know, he had no affiliation with the, with the Oceanic Six. There's no guarantee that he had to be one of the people that got brought back aboard Ben's kooky scheme. He's so ride and, or die, though. He's like, whatever you guys want to do, I'll just roll with yeah, it. But I also love Frank. What? Like, yeah. that, is, that Jeffrey just has the fantastic one word interjections. But yeah. he's a character who I didn't expect to see, or I was. I wasn't not surprised to see him, but I wasn't banking on, oh, yeah, well, Frank Lapidus has to show up in season five. Because, again, you'd imagine he got on with his life. He did for a little while, right? He did for three years. It wasn't his fault that he happened to be uh, flying a Jira 316. Mm-hmm. But it was it was fun to see him start an episode, to have him as the POV character uh, for a brief portion of time. And like you said, just being so so much of a ride-along, like, yeah, come up with any story that you want to. I'm game for any conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, so Jeff Fahey was a guest star for seasons four and five, and then he's a series regular for, for season six. Uh, so he wouldn't necessarily be listed in the credits. And it, was he even a series regular for season six? I, I think he was. Sure. I feel like he got like those specific. He did. I think he got a character specific shot in season six. He did. Makes me feel like he, he was a main cast. Well, member. yeah, I'm looking at it now. I'm looking at like that, uh, like the, the last supper promotional image that they did. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Fahey's just like Jeff Fahey's sort of like one of these things is not like the others uh, <laughs> in the in the shot. And I love Lapidus, obviously co-chair of the yes! season four MVPs. But like it is just like a little odd to see him there because I just imagine him like looking down the line. If you don't know this image, it's like everybody from the cast uh, gathered around John Locke at the center of the table. He's in like the Jesus spot. It's the Last mm-hmm. Supper, and uh, you see Lapidus just like looking down at everyone, being like, "What?" What's going on here? Although, uh, actually, Alana's at the other end. It's like, oh, yeah, her. Yeah, like, it, it, they're very much the bookends of like, I don't know how we found ourselves yeah. here, but all right. All right, here free, we go. Free Jekylls, I'll drink up. Yeah, so this will be the last time we uh, hang out with Lapidus until uh, we're not going to Guam, are we? Uh, yeah. So uh, enjoy them while you've got them. The idea of uh, 
I don't want to have to lie for the rest of my life. Inside being like, there's no better option. This is probably the best option. Hurley's like, it's not if we all just uh, like stand together and stand strong and just like, like we'll be powerful in our truth. Like who cares about Charles Widmore? If all of us are in lockstep, how can they deny us? (laughs) We can defeat him with the power of friendship. You know, it's kind of what he's arguing and it's not the way they go, but it's certainly, I think, an early indicator here. At I mean, early you know, indicator, you know, we're we're you know late enough into the show that to call this early or Hurley, uh, well, to call it Hurley is accurate, but to call it early is probably <laughs> not. Um, but it's another you know like marker along this path towards Hurley being like the decisively right choice to lead the island forward. That he's yeah. the, he's the one who's like none of these games, none of these shenanigans. Why don't we just tell people what time travel is? Why don't we just tell people that we're on an island that bloops out of existence? Why don't we just like be cards up with each other? Uh, and it it does get you excited about like what the what the li- the lives of the of like the people who stay on the island at the end of the show might look like. There's a few of those moments in this episode, including like the the Ben and Hurley scene um, that uh, just like get me sort of like. It just like gets gets me like really like nerded out on some of those like extracurriculars beyond the scope of the show. Yeah, this is a really again we talked about a very fun character based episode for where Hurley ends up. I do feel like to your point earlier when you watch everything in context, you mentioned this before. Maybe some other stuff doesn't necessarily hold up in this episode. We'll get into like Ben and Eloise's insistence on it has to be this specific way or it won't work or God help us all that. I feel like maybe this is my own memory holes, but when you watch it back, does it hold too much water? But the Hurley stuff is incredibly strong. And it's also the the fact of the matter, we talked about this in our season four feedback show specifically, that Hurley is not particularly in the wrong here. Right. Of, do we really need to do this? And it's also a really early sign that despite Jack trying to rally this group as unified from the beginning, they were fractured to begin with. Because you even have dissension among the ranks of Hurley. And even Saeed's like, yeah, Hurley, you're right. But I think for the just for the the efficiency and simplicity of things, we're going to have to go along with this. I also like the idea that Saeed is the one that Hurley turns to because this entire episode is going to be Hurley trying to navigate a Saeed-esque lifestyle without Saeed being there. Yeah. Saeed's absence is felt from that moment in Hurley's life and really carries through to the very next scene when he's unconscious alongside him. So he's driving this. Now we're off island. We're in the present. He's driving the uncon- the unconscious Saeed all over Los Angeles. He's trying to like buckle him up. He runs over a trash bin. He gets pulled yeah. over. And this happens. What the hell were you thinking? Now we see you. You were driving like a maniac. And why'd you pull over? I just, I thought... You didn't think. What if I were real? What if a real cop stopped you? They already have pictures of you covered in blood with a gun in your hand. Actually, it's ketchup. We went to uh, a drive-thru and... uh... Bro, you need to pull it together. You've got a lot of work to do. I do? Let's start with the basics. First off, you need new clothes. Then you need to go to a safe place and take Saeed to somebody you trust. You getting all this? Yeah. Then get to it. And stay away from the cops. Do not get arrested. 
think San Lucia? Oh, yeah. Libby says hi. We all did it to Anna Lucia. Anna Lucia, she's back. Well, I don't know, Josh, because let's play our favorite game. Was that the Smoke Monster? Mini Monster. I mean, listen, we've been talking about the Mini Monsters, right? And just reset the Mini Monsters because you may have forgotten our Mini Monster ideas. <laughs> like, you leave the island, some of that island comes back with you. You get a little bit of that goobery man in black on you. Some of the Smoke Monster wispy tendrils, they lock into you. They stay with you. It's the evil of man, the darkness of the heart. It comes to you off the island, and it can manifest in these tiny little ways off island. And, and if that's the case, are all these ghosts that Hurley is actually interacting with? Because it's certainly one way of looking at it. And I really liked our idea that, like, L.A. is a hot spot here mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Hurley's connected to ghosts because he went to the island and he came back and he's got some of that sweet island power with him. And now he's communing with the ghosts off island because it's another hot spot. And he's the guy who's rightfully supposed to inherit the island. So it's all fate. Don't mistake it for coincidence. Or is it? As I hold up the moth, is this a smoke monster? What do you think? Do you think Anna Lucia is a real ghost here? Or do you think that this is uh, some MIB chicanery? So if it's the latter, I'm just wondering why. Because I, I guess if the, is the, if the mini monster's goal, like if this is indeed the monster, is it just to cause chaos and stir the pot by being like, oh, Hurley, uh, you better hold yourself up in a, in a safe house. And like just sort of, you know, uh, trying to, to, to con Hurley at the moment to lead him down a path that causes even more misfortune to happen. Or is it to keep the candidates off island some more and get the cops involved? I just feel like it's, it's too much of a complicated line of questioning. If it is the monster, I want to believe this is the real deal because we talked about this. The idea of Hurley being the one to commune with the dead is just such a, fun motif and such a great game changer for the character. If that's the case, this is also a really great uh, sign of when we left Hurley at the end of season four, right, of Checkmate Mr. Echo that previously he was running away from the ghost of Charlie and disregarding him and now he is almost fully embracing being uh, the ghost whisperer as it were. So for him to just see a dead person walk up, knock at his window, be like, here's what you need to do. By the way, your dead girlfriend says hi. Hurley takes a breath and says, all right, well, you heard her. I guess we better go find a new T-shirt. I think is a really fun idea that uh, brings us back to, oh, yeah, Hurley has ghost powers, which you might not remember in the intervening year in between. So I personally like to think this is the real deal. Yeah, I I do as well. I, I don't have a strong feeling as to why it would be anything other than that. Um, not everything has to be the smoke monster uh it is fun so like if you do think about it as the smoke monster yeah it is just like uh you know some razzing but it just doesn't really play as well as like 
the ghosts are trying to get him back. I mean, there is like a, you know, a long arc here that doesn't quite play out, although maybe it starts to play out a little bit um, in the final season where Hurley is going to have um, the conversation with Richard Alpert and Isabella, you know, Mm -hmm. he's going to be able to help um, Richard Alpert, the ghost of Richard Alpert's wife move on. Um, Is it, is there an idea that like, the ghosts are pulling for Hurley to come back and win the island so that he can do what seems to happen towards the end of the show in the in the new man in charge, the epilogue, right? right? We, we talk, we, this was talked about a bit as to, well, maybe these ghosts, uh, if not time-traveling, are capable of seeing future events. And so seeing that Hurley had to become the leader of the island, they had to help sort of guide Hurley to that place, which is why Charlie said you have to go back, which is why Anna Lucia pops in here. I don't know what Echo's doing besides playing chess, but that these these personalities from from Hurley's life are appearing almost like a Christmas carol to guide him on that right path to coming back to the island and becoming its leader. Yeah, so it could be like that they know that like he is going to be helpful for them and like in moving on, and so like there is like this this if you want to like. Uh, play it out in your head that Hurley becomes the person in charge of the island. He, uh, you know, long may he reign. Hopefully it's peaceful. He can connect with these spirits, with the whispers, with all of that on the island and off the island. Is he in tandem with Walt, the person to like help them heal and help them move on and do the ghosts as a result either feel like particularly like precious about Hurley or like, Mm -hmm. are they kind of like, I can't believe I'm able to interact with this guy. It's really uh, important. I I like this. I like this idea. So essentially Hurley is bell. The Island is the beast Mm -hmm. and all the ghosts are Lumiere and Cogsworth and Mrs. Potts, right? They want to be human again. And so they have to make them fall in love before the enchanted rose falls. Yeah. I think that that's it. I think that that's exactly it. Mainly because I want to see Michelle Rodriguez play Mrs. Potts. I think that's good. I think that's great. I'm highly in favor of that interpretation. Uh, I, I love seeing Michelle Rodriguez back here. Uh, I wouldn't say that Anna Lucia is necessarily missed as a character. I think we certainly appreciated her, but I think the show moved on for her. But it's really fun to see her come on and be like, Okay, you idiot. What are you doing right now? You're driving around with what looks like blood on your shirt. You're wanted for three murders and you're causing a scene. Here's the list of things that you need to do. Trust me. And also, definitely whatever you do, do not come running out of the safe house yelling, I did it, I'm the murderer, and force yourself on the ground and allow yourself (laughs) to get arrested. Please do not do any of that. He's going to go ahead and ignore that advice. Uh, All right, let's go back to the island Bernard is trying to do the bow technique for making fire. It's not going great. Frogert's mocking him from the sidelines. Hate Frogert so much. What I realized, and it was really uh, talked about in the the clip that played in the intro, I think Frogert is the guy who fancies himself a Sawyer, but really does them does not fit the mold right no. like he's giving other people nicknames he's also calling bernard bernie he's being smarmy right here and complaining about things that screams to me a lot of season one sawyer yes. where he feels like things are useless he's just being an a-hole about things and it very much shows how josh holloway really threaded that needle and on occasion we, we talked about how sawyer was not uh well characterized in some parts of season one But Josh Holloway was able to really make that performance come around. When you put those lines in the hands of another character, 
it really doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, it can, like, with certain characters. Miles. Miles, to a degree, exactly. Um, But then there are others who, like, it just does not hit. And I think, like, for whatever reason, Froker's just so awful. Uh, yeah, he's just like aggressively terrible. Is, is there any behind the scenes intel as to because obviously he popped up in the Zodiac last time, but he's really going to be one and done here. I, I can't remember. Is there any sort of talk in the years since as to, well, we knew we wanted to have this like gruesome death happen. So we decided to bring this one guy back, despite the fact that he only appeared in these deleted scenes, essentially, that yeah, we filmed they, during they the just, writer's strike. They just want to like, you know, close the loop. On, uh, they want to close the loop on on Froger. You know, they'd set him up. And Bernard, like he was like he was like sort of a seminal uh, gawker. You know, uh, mm-hmm. as as early at least as SOS. Uh, right. He was where his name was invoked, not his appearance. Yes. So, like you know, there's this there's this there's this moment where where Bernard's like, I'll go get Neil. I'll get you know the guy. I'll, I'll get Froger. The guy who makes frozen yogurt. Like so, if they know that they're going to kill all of these people, basically at this point, right? Like that's what the show is about to do. Then is there some sort of thinking that you need to have somebody who can kind of be representative of that group, so that there is this shock moment when the when the fire arrows rain down from the heavens. Uh, who who will they strike? Arst is dead. Like there isn't really a Nicky and Powell are dead. There like isn't anyone um, <laughs> other than Froger, uh, who they have previously cast. Right, like they have at this point already uh, done that. So I think like maybe it's like because like they're certainly not. I mean, it is. It would be one of the most misguided storytelling choices ever. To have it be Bernard or Rose in this position, yeah. you know, and it would like, be and it would be heartbreaking at the same time. Not necessarily it, heartbreaking would be sidestepped by just how bad of a decision it was. Like it would, like it would just be like such an aggressively poor choice uh, that I think to to do it is like it's not it's a non-starter. It's just not even on the table. Yeah, I think it's something that is shocking, but not so much like, I cannot believe the show did that. It's more so, wow, this is wild. And so bringing in this character, really building him up so that you almost feel like he deserves his death by by raining fire arrows, but then also providing this surprise of, oh my god, 815 is now being attacked by, at least at the starting point, what seems like these, I don't know, uh, like medieval era technology is just a big surprise in this episode. And I agree. I think if, because the only other real Gawker or Gawker adjacent people left are what? Steve is a leave, who I feel like hasn't really had any lines or many lines. And then Rose and Bernard, everyone else is sort of dead. And so I think, unfortunately, if you kill off Rose and Bernard, that's just, that hurts the show in so you many just ways. You can't do it. You can't do that. Not like that. Not like this. You know, <laughs> and I think very clearly because like the threat of violence against them is so evocative in the series finale. When the right. man in black is like, I will kill them. And you're like, okay, it's the final episode. They might do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. And it's like, it's so upsetting, just even the idea of it. That to do that here would have been um, hard to recover from. Really hard hard to recover from. And they would have uh, really bought that degree of difficulty. Uh, I yeah. think you kill Bernard or Rose in this scene and it is uh it you've you've created a, a narrative disaster 
uh, that uh, you you will you know have a really difficult time recovering from, and rightfully so. But to bring in Frogert, who already sucked in the one <laughs> thing that we saw, and just like to like reemphasize how much he sucks makes the moment both like. I think it it makes the moment be what it has to be when the gawkers start getting killed that it's um that it's shocking primarily and like horrifying and dangerous. I think probably like shocking, dangerous and horrifying has to be sort of like the three tiers. Yeah. It's like it shouldn't be like overly emotional because we're not yeah, super connected to these characters. Right, and it's also the scene is really a quick dash, right? You can't really take the time to be like, "Oh my god." rose like we need to stop here as as you die out like it, it, as sawyer implies the fire rose rained down and it's pretty much just like a straight shot into the jungle uh you don't you can't really take the time to to languish in it so again i think it functions really well of here's a character who i didn't necessarily think would die because he was more of an elevated red shirt oh my god he's dead oh my god they're running but i'm not necessarily lingering back in that moment uh, i'm sort of moving forward along with these characters because they certainly have a lot more to do yeah for sure so i think like bringing frogert in for this is absolutely the right thing uh, and on all- the bright side he does give sawyer a shirt <laughs> i was just about to say uh and i love uh sawyer's frogert shirt uh yeah. I, think, I think he looks great in the in the in the frogert shirt he, unfortunately though it still seems like he didn't get a decent pair of shoes no uh maybe maybe frogert was not able to to loan those out so some other interesting aspects of the time jumps are that i guess because they were sitting in the zodiac at the time the raft came back with them so essentially like any objects they were directly touching or interacting with when the island flashed meant that it's along for the ride as juliet would say yes uh there's a lot going on in this scene there's there's all like these various people who are just like you know, the Cuisinart stuff that's going to come up later, like, Frogert gets to be sort of the ambassador for the exasperation of the gawkers of, like, where's yeah. all of our stuff? Uh, it being like Tell us deep, something for once, please! You know, deeply unsettling. Um, some other unsettling things are that Faraday was gone for two hours. What was he doing for two hours, Mike? Well, so he's going to, again, Daniel Faraday is a terrible liar. Uh, ironically enough, an episode to lie, where he's like, uh, I was just walking and I got lost because that's the name of the show. Yeah. Uh, but how did he, how, you weren't that far behind. You just stuck around at the hatch for like an extra five seconds. Yeah. Where did you I go? Know. I don't know. I mean, well, but didn't time flash after he talked with Desmond? So did time just flash ahead a couple more hours? Mm, I don't think it works like that. They're all like stuck on the same continuum, I think. Right. So then why was there a flash when Faraday talked with Desmond? I think that, that they all that I think that they all flashed. I think that everybody flashed, but for him to be like two hours behind everybody wouldn't mm. have made any so difference. okay okay so maybe because yeah because it seems like now they've gone back to i guess what's what this is going to be the 50s now because yeah. we're gonna start running into chucky wids and, and right. young eloise hawking instead Correct. of where we were back in the day Correct. Uh, so so yeah so maybe it was a matter of like he was checking out uh dr these wizard i mean mr I, I could, wizard exactly uh i could imagine sparing you some miles actually in these couple of episodes i could imagine daniel faraday would take two hours to scope out when they were in time mm-hmm. i actually could believe that that he is not getting out his sextant which by the way <laughs> i guess r.i.p sextant uh i'm assuming that is gone right that's gone away it has flashed away with time it didn't come with them yeah the sextant's gone sextant's gone forever 
Yeah, so I mean, no, I I would believe that despite Daniel Faraday coming across as squirrely as ever, that he would try to scope out like, okay, when am I? Let's go down the flow chart. Is the hatch still here? Are there any other landmarks I should check out? That he was like wandering through the jungle trying to map out exactly when he was. Maybe wasn't I guess. I guess I think that that could that could uh, that could track. If I'm Faraday, I want to just like stick with the group as much as I can. Um, Juliet wants to go get the Zodiac. Like we could, you know, start like shipping out. And Faraday's like, I need to know where we are in time. Otherwise, that's a very bad idea. Uh, and Miles is starting to get hangry, so he's going to go off and find something to eat. Yeah, and I guess, and Juliet says, I guess that's where, well, I guess we'll get the water cut to Hurley splashing water on Saeed's face to wake him up. Yeah, he's at the gas station. This is I where- love uh, the weekend at Bernie shout yes. out with putting the sunglasses on Saeed. Yes, uh, Navy and Andrews really goes for it with the physical comedy of just being like an unconscious Saeed. I think is really, really good. They probably- yeah, and that's and that's really, really tough to do. Yes, I think that they probably could have like gone further with it, but I think ultimately, good choice that they didn't. You don't want this to be like a total slapstick thing. I think it's probably yeah. just enough. You know, I think what they could have done is maybe if they brought in some more island aspects, much like Weekend at Bernie's too. Uh, maybe when, <laughs> yeah. when Cheap Trick Cheap Tricks Dream Police plays like it does in the gas station, he like that's when he sort of comes to life and bounces around. Oh my and god! Yeah. Mishap, mishap, mayhem ensues. Uh, that song, besides uh, Apu singing it rather memorably in The Simpsons, also has some fun lyrics because I, you know, I mean, Dream Police. Hurley just sees a police officer who's not alive, right? So it's it's almost like reminding him of what he just experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he. Uh, this is where Hurley has, like, sort of his Vincent Vega and Jules and Pulp Fiction moment. Yes. He gets, the, like, the, the new t-shirt because his is covered in not blood but ketchup. The I Shih Tzu My Shih Tzu shirt. Yeah. Appa- <laughs> apparently, the, so the shirts that he goes to, uh, there's the I Wire Hair My Wire Hair. Apparently, that is director Jack Bender's actual wire hair dog. Amazing. And apparently, I don't know if the Shih Tzu is the actual animal proper, but uh, Edward Kitsis does have a Shih Tzu. Okay. And so you'd imagine that's him sort of putting in like, yeah, I'm going to make Hurley a Shih Tzu's fan. I'm going to make my favorite character a fan of my favorite type of dog. That's so great. Uh, <laughs> I like Shih Tzu's. Looks like you heart them. Yeah. Uh, uh, this 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 gas station attendant. Darlene. Uh, yeah. Darlene. Darlene. I mean, you didn't like, watch um, the news, so you don't know who he is. Ima- imagine the alternate universe where this is Darlene from Mr. Robot. It's just so Ooh. great. It's so well, she great. sort of has that similar Carly yes. Chaken like delivery, yeah, right? That's what I'm saying. It's like I think it really could have worked. In my head canon, it's the same character. Yeah, imagine like she uh, she's able to be like, "Don't worry, I know who you are. I'm gonna I'm gonna hack the government so yeah. it erases your records. You'll be and able to escape." Like, what? Uh, but she recognizes him from winning the lottery and crashing. He's afraid that she. What is recognizes- it with the gas station recognizing Hurley at every point in time? Uh, Lost is like Star Wars, Mike. It rhymes. Uh, Hurley is uh, concerned that she may recognize him as a triple murder suspect because that's what he's on TV for right now. Right, literally, like the news report behind him. But no, she recognizes him for literally everything but the murder, everything that he's gone through. And if you want a reminder, again, of Hurley's attitude towards lying, uh, she says, you know, he's trying to come across like, oh, you don't know me. She says, you're lying. And he says, oh, I don't believe in lying, which is true. This is, again, something he is forced to do kicking and screaming. Yeah, uh, it's not his favorite thing. So he is he is going to drive off as Kate drives in and I do love this. I love I love this shot. 
love him like peeling out of the gas station as Kate's peeling in because she just needs to like get off the highway and stop and think. And it's just another signal of like fates intertwined. You know, I just think it's yeah. fun. I think it's cute. Well, I think it's we're also teasing the fact that the goal is to get the Oceanic Six back together. They're still sort of disparate threads at the moment. We're going to connect them more and more. Saeed is with Hurley. Kate and Son are going to have a scene here. But we still have yet to get all six, or I guess in this case, all five together in the same location. So it's also a quick reminder of these people are orbiting each other, but they're not necessarily on the same planet, as it were. But yeah, this is our brief Kate check-in, right? She's still on the run from Norton and Agostini. Agostini. Uh, She's looking at a map. Uh, Some fantastic 2007 flip phone technology, Josh. Remember when you used to hold your flip phone, but like the technology allowed you to see the contact through the phone where you didn't even need to flip it open? Yeah, I do remember that. I was looking at this as like, this is uh, what does Lost and The Departed have in common? Both uh, movies and shows that would otherwise hold up as totally modern, except for the fact that they were just at the end Mm -hmm. of the flip phone era, just outside of the smartphone window. Yeah, uh, that's the only thing that The Departed and Lost have in common, unfortunately. But you really see it, right, uh, where she's she's about to call Jack Shepard. His number's right even up there. Uh, and then she says, no, 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 I can't do it. And then she gets a call from Unknown. And we have, luckily, a question that's going to be answered in the next 15 minutes, right? This is not a Jeremy Bentham thing where it's, oh, I'm surprised it's you. Yes, I will use vague language to meet with you until we actually discover who you are. Sure, I'll be there in 20. Okay, bye. Keep coloring, Aaron, or go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just always either... Although he he, he may be worthy of an MVP point this week. He, uh, he hits that penthouse floor pretty hard uh, yeah. on the elevator. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, you give a kid an ability to touch a button, they're going to take it a whole hop. But we'll also talk later, Aaron is just ass out, passed out, yeah, on like a set always, T. Well, Kate and Son are talking at full volume, yeah. like in the immediate vicinity to them. I would say that that's out of the ordinary. But remember, in the barracks, like they do the very similar thing with Claire putting Aaron in the other room, and they're all of them are just talking at extremely loud volume in the living room. Is so it possible again, that, like, the whole Richard Malkin, he can't be raised by another thing was because, like, literally, Claire, you're the only one who can raise him. Anybody else who tries, he's just gonna sleep through it. Ooh, maybe. Ooh, is this like a Sleeping Beauty thing, where yeah. there's a curse, where if he doesn't run into his mom, he, he's, he's gonna fall asleep at every mm-hmm. turn? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that might be what's going on here. Uh, she's gonna get a call, unknown caller. She picks up, which I find to be highly unrealistic. You never pick up an unknown caller. Yeah, because it's gonna be, especially if you're Kate Austin, right? When you know that there are so many people on your back, for to be like, hmm, unknown caller. I'm gonna accept it. Let's I, see know, who this might you, be. It's usually spam, but right now it could be Norton and Agostini. You don't pick up unknown caller. It could be Charles Widmore being yeah. like, "I have a bomb under your car." Kate. You don't pick up the phone. You just don't pick up the phone right now. But she picks it up, and clearly it is Sun. She's gonna go and check in on Sun. Meanwhile, um, at the at the motel, Jack is all cleaned up. Yeah, He's, the beard and is ben- gone. Ben is forcing him to be clean quite literally as well. Uh, Ben really took like the hard approach as a sponsor in Jack's addiction. He flushed all his pills down the toilet. Yeah, Jack thanks him. I was just about to do that. But it's like, uh uh-huh. Ben, it's a, this is a weird episode for Ben. Like, Ben is doing some good things objectively for Jack, 
right? Like, he's getting his life together. He's the cold splash of water that actually works on him, unlike Saeed. We also find out that Ben is a little Dexter-like, uh, not only in the Jekyll's beer, but also that he has a sort of, like, pack in the vent of the motel that he is working on. But this is where Ben's sort of going to give Jack his marching orders, right? Saying, like, all right, I got you and what you need to do. Now go do your thing. I have go to go do my up. thing. Go pack up. I got to go, go do a thing. I've got to see a woman about a porterhouse. Yeah, she, she, he's t- he tells... Uh, Jack, I've got a like a dead body rotting in the van. I should probably do something about that and keep him safe. Keep it and, secret. Keep it safe. And Jack's is safe. He's dead, isn't he? And Ben like pauses for a beat and then says, "I'll see you in six hours." So clearly, at this point, the show is teasing with our expectations. And I actually think that this isn't something that we've talked about nearly enough yet. Um, that yes, Locke is dead. But the prevailing thinking in the fandom, even before like we see him come back midway through the season, roughly, mm-hmm. um, is that he would somehow not be dead forever. That they would somehow right. like bring him back and he would come back to life. That that's how much that, that the show had built up the mythological idea of John Locke as this uber special person that he could even defy death. And the show is really like there's some like resurrection subtext that's in here. Um, And now like you're getting it like very textually with Jack saying to Ben, like he's dead, right? Like even he's like suspicious too. Cause like he knows that Locke is special. And so like, he it's this idea of like i can't believe that they're really gone maybe he's not you know it's a stage of grief deal um but the show is playing with us by having ben's reaction be as ominous as it is in reality you know ben's taking a beat because he's like yeah he's dead i killed him yeah exactly (laughs) like uh duh oh wait he doesn't know that uh yeah i I choked him to death exactly murdered him yeah and and i also think We'll talk about the shock of of killing John Locke as well. That there certainly also had to be the idea of, yes, we killed Charlie, but that was like a big event that was led up to that occurred during a season finale. They wouldn't unceremoniously kill off John Locke, right? right. Like there has to be new life for this character. Terry O'Quinn has been part. This has been arguably one of the main characters of the show from the very beginning. Maybe unlike a Charlie who took more of a supporting role in seasons two and three, they can't just dispose of John Locke like that. So I think it was a little bit of that holding out hope as well that, like you said, culminated in this idea of, yeah, I mean, Terry O'Quinn's going to be back in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Uh, so I just I love the way that they're playing with that. Uh, and in the real time, it was really exciting because like it was so in your face and you believed it, too, that yeah. there was just no world where he wasn't coming back to life. So the fact that like it ends up being what it ends up being, just like I think it, it adds to the impact of that. I, I keep saying it like say what you will about where it ultimately goes with the man in black. But the setup of the character, the like the through the looking glass quality of Terry O'Quinn being this one character and then being this totally different character within the space of season five is immaculately uh, conceived uh, oh. to, 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 to use. Uh, Finally, his, his mom's an angel. Terms. Yes, exactly. Um, all right. So David Reyes is making a cold cut sandwich with caviar on it. God, uh, that's like, I understand you. You like, you might as well splurge if you have the means, but that sounds disgusting. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's <laughs> like, you know, 
like this is not surf and turf, dude. You're not going to mix salami and seafood on the same thing. It just doesn't scan for me. But hey, if you're kicking back and watching expose, I guess you need something to distract from the schlock you're watching. This is another thing where they're talking about the cobra and how the cobra was like, uh, you know, he was Billy D, and then turns out that he's the bad guy. It's like, is this another Terry O'Quinn tell? Like, are they trying mm-hmm. to signal to us that something is happening here? Is this an Easter egg? Is this an Easter egg? Uh, Hurley is there. He's got the unconscious Saeed over his shoulders. Uh, he asks his dad, have you seen the news? Like, no, I've been watching Expose. What are you <laughs> I mean, doing with this unconscious man? Hurley has been very lucky that every person he's run into so far has no idea who he is, or at least what he has done recently, right? Darlene isn't watching the news behind her. David hasn't watched the news yet, whereas literally everyone else is like, oh, it's that triple homicide guy. Yeah, everybody knows who he is, except for like the people who he needs to not know. I mean, from that capacity, is. it's good luck, in an odd manner of speaking, right? That the people he happens to run into are not the ones. And maybe that's sort of fate guiding him down this path alongside Anna Lucia. Like you talked about, big episode for David Reyes. And even though he has questions, I'm going to give it to him here, because he doesn't really have any major questions in that he's like, whoa, stop, I won't help you. He has questions along the way, but like... He's going to yes and the hell out of this. He, of, never, okay, sure. he never stops it. He's always on board with what Hurley wants to do. You know, he is at one point going to be like, in fact, I think he has a really beautiful moment later on after he talks to the to the cops uh, when he like says to to Hurley, like, are you crazy? And yeah, you're either like, lying or you're crazy. And Hurley's like, do you think I'm crazy? And he goes, y- you're either that or you're lying to me. And I think like that's like a, t- a totally fair and beautiful moment between nuclear family members. Uh, like that 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 moment where he says like the, like the sadness because it's like mm-hmm. he's a, he doesn't like it. He, he like he's very sad when he says like, "Are you crazy? Because you either are, which is terrible and very upsetting, and I want to help you, or you're lying to me." And like the un like part the like the unspoken part of that is like. And why would you be lying to me? Um, it's just yes, it, though, really nice. considering what David has done to Hurley in the past, right? Like you could get away with a little bit of lying, but I think that also shows how emotionally mature their relationship has gone yeah, as well in the past three years is that he would feel legitimately hurt of, Oh, Hurley. I thought that we had that in the past. Now you're lying to me. Uh, but I also love David really again, like this, you could tell the apple doesn't fall far from the tree where he much like Hurley does usually is questioning the logic of everything. Hurley talks about how Saeed was hitting it, getting hit with a dart. And he replies a dart. Were you at the zoo or something? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so great. It's really, really funny. Uh, so uh, Hurley has an idea for what they need to do. Cause they need, they need a doctor. Uh, but if they go to the hospital, it's going to be like the Godfather gets smothered yeah. in pillows and make it look I also, like an accident. It's great that this is Cheech Marin's final episode because the cops come knocking at the door and David essentially has to say, like, Hurley's not here, man. That's how he finishes out his time on Lost. And it's incredible. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um, Kate goes to the hotel with Aaron. He uh, he hits the elevator button. Three one. That adds up to four. 
and also it'll be uh, two digits that'll be on the plane that they're eventually going to take mm-hmm. back. Yep, but yep. Kate, Kate and Son are back together. Would Joshua. Have, it would have really been on the nose if he uh, had hit 31 and then also just like tapped six on the way yeah, down. Yeah, and then Frank Lapidus was in the corner being like, oh my god, you guys are staying here too? Yeah. We're not going to the penthouse, are we? Yeah. Uh, so Son is here, reunion between Kate and Son. It is <laughs> massively awkward. Remember when they were best friends, Josh? A lot's changed. Uh, the the interactions between Sun and Kate are like actively hard to watch. Um, we'll get there in a little while. First, let's hang out with uh, with Ben at the butcher. Hello, Ben. If it's a porterhouse you're looking for, we're out. No, no porterhouse. I do, however, have something very important in my van, Jill, and I need you to watch it for me. Is it what I think it is? It is. Hope he's safe with me. Have Gabriel and Jeffrey checked in yet? Yeah, everything's moving right on schedule. How's it going with Shepard? He's with us. Really? What'd you do, bribe him with some pills? Cut the man some slack. He's been through a lot, we all have. Right. Of course. Sorry. So keep him safe, Jill. Because if you don't, everything we're about to do won't matter at all. So couldn't help but notice, Josh, that this is taking place in a slaughterhouse. Mm. Uh, something, something unstuck in time. Exactly, exactly, as we're about to cut to now. Uh, yeah, so I think uh, the reason why I pulled this as a sound is because I think you spoke about this last week, but this is the first official confirmation that Ben still has a network off-island yep. of people that he's working with. We'll get this at with the end with Jill Eloise Hawking. and Gabriel. And, and Steven, Steven and Jeffrey? Jeffrey, yeah. <laughs> Do you think right. it's uh do you think it's Jeff Winger? He's one of the could unseen be. agents of Ben. Could be, could be. So yeah, uh Ben Ben still has a squad off island that are all like committed to to helping him out here, which I I would love to know more about these yeah. people. I I would as well as to, you know, were they others that are now sort of undercover? How long has Jill been a butcher because Jill actually in deleted scenes plays a larger role than you may think. Uh, Apparently there's a deleted scene on the season five DVD. I haven't watched it yet where Jill was actually pretty instrumental in finding Desmond and Penny for Ben. So that when Ben tries to kill Penny, uh, you know, that's how he's going to get it on that location. Obviously Jack's going to pick up Locke's body from Jill. So like Jill actually played a pretty large role in getting everyone together, but I have no idea who the hell she is. Who is she? Yeah. I have no idea who this character is. Jill. We never see her again. We'll Don't see her. Believe. We'll see her. I, we? I think I think Jack will get the body with her. Okay, so I think so we'll, she'll, she'll we'll make one more appearance. One more time. And look uh, at Ben sticking up a little bit for Jack as well, right? Like when she makes a crack about that, the pills. That Ben's was like, interesting. Uh, How dare you? Yeah, that was really interesting to me. Um, yeah, we will see her in three one six. You're right. Um, yeah, that was compelling to me. I had forgotten about that. Like he has no reason to like defend Jack in this moment, unless it's like sort of like a projection here of like. You know, like we've been through a lot, you know, like and like he kind of can connect to to where Jack is coming from on that level. Um, 
I don't know. Like, is is there a world in which this is a remorseful Ben at all yet? Like, is he is mm. he there? Doesn't it's hard for me to feel like he's there. No, I don't think it's remorseful. I think it's pity is what I think it is, because Ben, look, certainly has had his own struggles in his life. But I, I, I wonder if from his perspective, he can hold his hell, his head high, knowing that like he has never hit a rock bottom like Jack has. And so it's almost this idea of, yes, they are unlikely allies at this point. So maybe that's one reason why Ben's defending him. But more so maybe this idea of like, don't kick a man when he's down. You know, don't punch down Jill. Uh, he's been through a lot. Is maybe just a matter of not necessarily Ben taking Jack's side or even sympathizing with him, but more so saying, oh, you know, I don't think Ben's incapable of the ideas of sympathy or empathy. He just manipulates them for his own purposes. So I could imagine him coming at Jill from this angle of, yeah, uh, you know, he's been through a lot, but we should really pity him for that. Okay, so that's uh, that's Ben meets Jill, the ballad of Jack and Jill with Ben in the middle. Um, back on the island, Bernard gets like a spark of fire and immediately goes out. Froger makes fun of him. Rose goes, I think you need to take a time out, Neil. Yeah, I, I love this because, uh, you know, it is, again, we talked about this last week. Like, we project ourselves into 815. Super frustrating. We have watched so much Survivor, Josh, to know that, like, it's so frustrating for those contestants when a million dollars is on the line and they have to make fire. Imagine when your livelihoods are on the line, the very fact that you can live. Uh, and now, like, when everyone comes together, uh, Sawyer is, like, glowering at Neil at this point. He's completely done with his shit. And meanwhile, uh, Charlotte's going to sit down with Daniel, who's doing a terrible job of trying to look distracted, right? He's like looking off in his own mental space. And then she comes to sit down. And he's like, oh, and I was uh, looking in my journal the entire mm-hmm. time. Oh, so fancy to see you here. Come sit down. I was deep in work, as you might have seen just six feet away from when you saw me last. Yeah. Eating the fruit. She's gotten these headaches. She can't remember her mother's maiden name. Daniel, do you know anything about this? No. Yeah, and it's going to be tough because that means that unfortunately no one will be able to hack Charlotte because they can't remember her mother's maiden name or no, the, yeah. the street she grew up on or mm-hmm. last yeah. four digits of her social security number. Correct, correct. Uh, so Miles will come back. He's got the dead board. Died three hours ago. It's fine. Uh, I I don't know if I would want to eat. I don't know. I, I guess I guess eating a boar that died of natural causes is the humane thing to do. But part of me is like, what killed that boar? You know, yeah, like and like you know the way that this works for Miles, right? It's like he can interrogate the ghosts to a degree. How does he do that with the boar? Like, how does Wait, he, like, was he just listening for boar sounds and follow the 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 sounds? It's like boar, are you okay? Did you have some sort of plague? I don't think so. <laughs> or like, uh, what? It's Pumbaa's voice. Whatever you do, just yeah. don't eat me. Just don't eat me. Is that Saul? Uh, oh no, Saul got turned into a pig. <laughs> yeah, salt pork. Um, so Miles brings it back, and this is where he asks for the knife, and this is where Froger gives him the. It's by the quiz, the Cuisinart. Uh, it's next to the stove, uh, and he has Neil's last stand, where he's like, "I'm Neil, you inbred." Uh, yeah, which is, uh, again, that's very much season one Sawyer, right? Of like, let me take a base accusation based on where you come from and turn it into a churlish nickname. Yeah, it's, so I think like it also helps to serve as a contrast for Sawyer, 
Uh, I think hey, he's like, like, I can't believe I used to be that guy. Yeah, exactly. And now I'm wearing his shirt. Uh, but it's just like all like great fodder for Froger to just eat fire. Uh, he just gets riddled with fire arrows. Uh, and like, I think like if it, if it's a character you care about at all, the tone of this scene is just totally different, both like in the watching of it, but also in like how we talk about it, our memories of it, because like, if you stop and examine it, like, the lives of the background 815ers are really just, like, uh, totally pointless in the grand scheme of things. Like, it really does ultimately become only, like, the named 815ers mattered at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, everybody else was just, like, they were just, like, cannon fodder for for the story. And then, like, when you think about that super hard, it can be a little bit of, like, a grim look on some of the main characters on the show and also some of like the thematics of the writing. Uh, so like, don't do that. And instead <laughs> focus on this being like, sort of like an iconic moment that is played almost at least initially with Froger for like, Oh shit. Kind of like nervous laughter. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's, that's the right tone. If you're going to like, if, if, if like understandably the show feels like, they need to clear the decks for characters right now. Though I think they probably didn't have to just like broad swipe all of the gawkers. Like the it's, gawkers could have just wound up at the temple or something like that. It's very dark. You could also say that like the they the gawkers didn't go with them, right? That it was just this gaggle of well, maybe because Faraday was there, or maybe just take out the three people that were with Faraday on the Zodiac, right? In the the hail of fire arrows, it is pretty dark to have them say, "Well, what happened to everyone else in Oceanic Eight One Five? Well, they died. Not only did they die, they died via a brutal surprise immolation via fire raining down from the sky." It's a little bit of a rough step from where we began things from live together, die alone. Uh, they are dying together, right. as it were. And yeah, it's especially when we start to bring in the lighthouse and the candidates next season. It's going to make things even sadder when you're a gawker, considering it's yes, some of these gawkers were candidates who just, you know, I get, well, they got killed by the other. So they were not, uh, killed by, by Jacob or the man in black as they were, but other people just happened to be on the same plane as these candidates. So they're really there for no discernible reason other than being bad luck, uh, with where they happen to sit on the plane and the plane they happen to take that day. And that's sad to think about. But like you said, the less you think about it, uh, the, and the more it pops, it's one of those things where the more you dig into it, I think the more morose you get about the poor fate of these others, with the exception of Billy and Rodney, who 110% deserved everything that came to them. Uh, Neil is just, like, roasted alive. He's just, like, consumed in hellfire. This one poor guy gets shot in the gut, and Juliet tries to, like, save him. She, like, tries to, like, pour sand on the fire, and then and Sawyer has to, like, go and be like, there's nothing you could have done. We gotta get, go now. Get to, get the, to creek. the creek. You know, that one creek. Get to the creek. I do appreciate that. Like, I feel like that's like an in joke where they're like, yeah, we know we only have the one. Yeah. Even uh, though it's really, we'll point out later, there are many, many parts to it. I mean, yeah, it is utter chaos at the moment. It's almost something actually out of like Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings, right? That guy, Neil Froger's running around a la Denethor uh, about to fall off the giant cliffs. Instead, he just falls into the sand. Yeah. So he's, he's toast. Uh, that I just can't stop thinking about that poor guy just gets like shot in the stomach 
And then Sawyer says, we got to go. Uh, like he probably he was gut shot. It probably wasn't an instant kill. Uh, so that poor guy is probably like still just like bleeding out after that. Don't think about it too hard. Uh, off island. This is where we get that moment between Hurley and David. Do you think I'm crazy? Either that or you're lying to me. It's also notable that her. You know, David looks out the window and the cops are sticking out his place, and Hurley's like, "Wow, that's surprising." Is it really, though? <laughs> like, yeah. you are a triple homicide suspect. I feel like it is police protocol to have the cops stake out the locations of where they would most likely go. And not to say that David Reyes isn't a good liar, but you could imagine that he still might be harboring a fugitive. And so, yeah, I think it's it would be bad. I would give an LVP point to Law & Order if they said, all right, we'll take him at his word. Bye-bye now. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Yeah, as uh, Shrekman likes to say, bye-bye. <laughs> uh, um... So Carmen comes home. Why is there a dead Pakistani on my couch? <laughs> I do, but according to Lostpedia, apparently that became such a popular phrase that people were looking it up on Google, but some people <laughs> didn't realize the implications of it, like where it came from. So they're like, wow, why are there so many dead people from Pakistan on people's couches? Is this like a, a, a problem going on worldwide that needs to be solved? Because of Carmen Reyes. The, just the line read is crazy. He's not dead, Mom. And then she goes, well, he's not breathing. It's <gasps> uh, just great. Uh, and so Hurley and David spring to action. Uh, and in David's penultimate appearance on Lost, he is going to have Saeed in the back of his car as he waves at the cops and says, officers? It's just so, so good. David Reyes, ride or die. Ride or die in this episode. I mean, riding with a dying man, I'll yeah. say. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, I just love that. The whole thing is just, it's just like, it's its both tense, but it's also really funny. Uh, I mean, that's that's Hurley's plot lines in a nutshell, too, though, right? Like, there's darkness to them, but there's also a tinge of comedy. But I think that that's another reason why I really like this episode, uh, because it does, um, you know, as a Hurley episode, it, offer, it like offers glimmers of, like, what Hurley, you know, had been longing for for so long was, like, you know, connection with his family and, like, some measure of peace and like obviously things are very chaotic for him in this moment in time um but you can just like you can like at least his interpersonal connections within his family you you can view them differently like you can see uh the ways in which a lot of those rifts had heal had uh had mended and like it gives you some hope uh for a lot of these characters that you know love and time heal all wounds uh, so it's it's great. I just I love the David Reyes stuff with with Hurley in this episode. Um, yeah, it's, and it's used sparingly, right? Yes. You're not going to have an entire flashback episode dedicated to David and Hurley getting their life back together. Oh, we it's had Trisha, absolute perfect amount. We yeah, because we, we had, we had Trisha it, yeah. Tanaka. We had the scene, and there's no place like home where David restored the Camaro for Hurley, which is a big sign, right? Actions speak louder than words. And then we get this: you can fill in the blanks, or you don't even really need to. You get a sense as to how these two support each other and how far their relationship came from when he happened to drop in, or even that very first flashback scene where David unceremoniously leaves as Hurley's a kid. Um, so let's go back to the hotel. Kate and son, they're all overdue for a catch up. Uh, let's listen in as Kate and son have a very tough conversation. So how long are you in LA? Just a few days. I have some business to attend to but i wanted to see you here it is her name's tian 
here's a baby picture. Oh, she's beautiful. Thank you. She's with her grandmother in Seoul. I hope someday you get to meet her. It would be nice to see her and Aaron play together. Yeah. Kate, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you? Somebody knows we're lying. What? Some lawyers came to see me. Who? Two men, they came to my house and they asked for a blood sample. Some kind of lawsuit. They wanted to test to see if... To see if Aaron's my son. Who do these lawyers represent? I don't know. They wouldn't tell me who their client is. Then they're not interested in exposing the lie. How do you know? Because if they were, they would just do it. They wouldn't come to you in private. They don't care that we're lying. They just want Aaron. Who... Who would do that? We... I don't know. But you need to take care of them. What do you mean, take care of them? Wouldn't you do anything you had to in order to keep Aaron? What kind of a person do you think I am? Person who makes hard decisions when she has to. You get the baby on the chopper, I'll get you in. Like you did on the freighter. You told me to get on the helicopter, and you said you'd get Jin. We gotta get out of here. Son, I hope you don't think. But you did what you had to do. And if you hadn't, we probably all would have died instead of just my husband. I'm so... I'm so sorry. I... I don't blame you. So... How's Jack? Not great, Bob. The uh, the the juxtaposition of uh, I don't blame you. So how's Jack? Is just like that gif of like the uh, the person who's just like slammed down an insult and the guy just like falling down at the camera. Um, like we're supposed to like that's unsettling, right? That's intended yeah. to be unsettling, no? Yeah, I think, well, I think Sun is, again, she is a different type of person after coming back to the island. And I think we see that throughout this scene. Even her comment to Kate about how, oh, it's very clear that Norton and Agostini are not representing Charles Widmore because then, you know, why would they approach you privately about this stuff? It's representing another party, which she's completely accurate about. But I feel like that is power broker Sun. Right, not Sharon Carter's son necessarily. Uh-huh. Sure, and that this is someone who not only has a keen mind for these types of strategies being employed, 
but also someone who has a bit more of a darker mindset that would even come up with that idea. Like, I don't think it was even within Kate's realm of possibilities that that was the case. But Sun, who thinks about these types of things, it's like, yeah, of course this is happening, because if I was in that situation, that's probably what I would do. Right. Uh, and, and so I think that's tinged throughout. And I, I do think she's sincere in that she's not blaming Kate, but I think that's because she is displacing blame onto other people. Right. She's blaming Ben Linus. She's blaming her father. She's blaming Jack to a certain extent. And so I think Kate luckily gets off scot free, uh, but it's not without the consequence of others. All right. Uh, I have questions uh, among them. Where did they want to take this? Because I feel like they wanted to go somewhere with Sun's storyline that they didn't. Right. I, yeah, I feel like it's it's maybe something like, oh, they want to show how much she has become dark Sun. Since well, she's I come back to I, the island, but but then like when they bring back Jin, it's like oh, but then she'll soften up because when she hears that Jin is still alive, that'll cause her to want to go back. But I feel like it's maybe it's because they under Sun Sun and Jin are two other characters who maybe get a little underdeveloped in season five in particular. Yeah, yeah. that we we couldn't really concentrate on that arc that much. Yeah, it's disappointing because I think that they're they're starting something that's pretty interesting with Sun here. Um, and, you know, something that's worth exploring is like, you know, they do it with Saeed, I think. And I actually think with Saeed, there are aspects of it that really work. And then I think that they hard fail on it for a lot of the final season. Um, but I think that the idea of like to love and to lose and what that does to you, like the danger of love, uh, is a, is a worthy thing to examine in this show where its central theme is about what it means to love others and let yourself be loved and to love yourself uh, even despite like your your issues and your problems and your barriers like how do you get past that stuff how do you move on how do you let go um, and I think that there's an interesting thing to explore here in like losing that thing that's helped you. Um, let go of these things for so much of your life and now it's gone and it was ripped away from you and like how do you process that how do you move on from that can you can it consume you and i think that sun would have been a compelling person to explore this with yeah. if they had really gone for it and so they don't and i and i guess like i'm sort of left in this place of like is it better that they recognized that it wasn't working, so they pivoted away from it? Or was it working and they should have leaned in harder? I don't know where I land with it, ultimately. I, um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because, you know, where my fandom is with the Quans. I would have liked to see more of it. Because I think Yunjin Kim is such a good actress that I, I wish we had focused more on it. I Again, if we're talking about what we would have seen in those intervening three years, I would have loved to see more of whose son became off island i mean another notable part of this scene she asked kate point blank like wouldn't you do anything to save aaron kate replies what kind of a person do you think i am and i think those two lines are very indicative of the type of person son is she's the type of person that probably would to be honest, do anything to get Jin back into her life like she she might kill someone uh she has in the past if it means that she would get to see Jin again, because losing him has immeasurably changed her life in so many ways. But the thing is, we're drawing so much rich content, but it's so much through implication. Like, I would have liked to see more on the face stuff with that. Maybe even, and well, I guess we'll get into this with the little prince, maybe even at the expense of some of the Kate stuff 
that was happening. You know, because I, I feel the way that you just said the little prince, like you were just like uh, just like bagging on somebody was sort of the tone. You know, that, that, that little, little prince. prince. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's also a, a unique note as well. Is uh, you know that that Kate's Kate for some reason is like. I don't possibly know who on this planet or even another country might want Aaron Littleton back. Who might that be out of every single person on the planet? Certainly not someone who I ran into at Christian Shepherd's funeral. Certainly not the family that Claire has waiting for her that might believe that the very pregnant woman who went onto this plane, that that might be her child. No, I can't think of one iota of a human being that would want Aaron back in their lives right but it ultimately ends up uh not being the case right i, I guess no it's, gotta, it's, i believe it's carol that hires norton and agostini is is that right or is that what she thinks and then it turns out that it's not and she kind of like busts herself i think it might be that um i don't know we'll get to it i i'm i'm a little foggy on some of the details but i think that might be what's what's going on here we'll get there in a in like it's uh the little prince it says that kate meets with norton and then norton means to go meet carol little oh carol Littleton's his it's his client with the lawsuit against oceanic airlines you're right, right. that's it that's it that's it um Okay, so but it, it you know they're definitely playing with something here with Sun that I don't think that they follow through on, and maybe they should have followed through on it, or at least I don't know, done something. Um, let's go to the parking garage. Uh, you will hear this on um, the Twenty Four podcast once it drops. Uh, that uh, on that podcast, we're very suspicious of parking garages. You never want to meet in a parking garage. I mean, as you should be, considering yeah. that uh, there there's unconscious bodies being traded back and forth in parking garages. Here, here is a different Jack at a parking garage uh, alongside David Reyes. Hugo said I could trust you. I wasn't so sure, but he swore I could. So, can I? Yes, of course. All right. What happened to him? Who said he got hit with some dart? Must have been some drugs or something. Where is Hurley right now? At our house, freaking out. Let me get my car, help me move him over. I'm gonna have to get him to the hospital. No, no, Hugo said that whoever did this will come back after him. All due respect, Mr. Reyes, but you brought him to me, so I'm gonna do what I think is best for Saeed. All right, fine, take him to the hospital. But with all due respect to you, Dr. Shepard, when this is over, you're gonna do something for me. What? Stay away from Hugo. Whatever it is you talked him into, something tells me you don't have his best interest at heart. So stay away from my son. So I I just came to this epiphany of all listening to this clip right now. This is not too dissimilar, Josh, than when Michael Dawson approaches John Locke in season one and is saying, stay the hell away from my son. You know, don't take him knife throwing and hunting. There is a pivotal difference in that David Reyes didn't threaten Jack's life in this moment. Yes, but I feel like, again, if we're talking about J- Jack becoming John Locke, or at least adapting some of his ideals, mm-hmm. there is some similarity there, at least in the yes. DNA. Yes. Uh, some some changed chromosomes, definitely. But this idea of saying, you're a bad influence on my son, stay away from him, is a, an, an interesting conversation to be had in both places. Where, like, Locke wants to 
foster Walt because he senses something special in him and knows this place has been special for himself. So he wants to help nurture that. Uh, Jack is, at the very least, knows that in Hurley and knows that the plan is they all have to get back together. He has his first real line on how to get back to the island in forever. That's his line. He wants Hurley to come with him. Um, so it makes sense. I do, I do think it tracks really well as Jack is making this turn for the lock. I think that's a really, really good pull. Um, also, that is a series wrap on David Reyes officially. Wow. I mean, it's a great way to finish off the character at least, right? Because remember, his very first scene is him taking off, leaving his son behind to satisfy his own selfish reasons. His very last scene is him being completely selfless, bringing this unconscious body here on behalf of his son and being so protective over his son that he tells him, stay away from him. And of course, Jack is going to betray those instructions. But what a turn for David Reyes as a character. It does not forgive the misgivings that he did over the course of the vast majority of Hurley's life, but a real turn over the course of those three years from 2004 to 2007. Yes, for sure. Uh, so I, I, I salute you, David Reyes, uh, a great character on Lost who I think ends really, really well. Jack is now in possession of Saeed. He calls Ben. He lets him know. Presumably during this phone call also is when he is going to tell Ben uh, where Hurley is, how to find Hurley. Uh, We can find Hurley at his house with his mother. And I think that this is like, this is the scene of the episode as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think the big talking point from this episode is the fire arrows but i think the best scene of this episode is by far and away this who is saeed i thought he was your friend he is my friend well he's also got this double life where he does crazy ninja moves and spy stuff but he's a good guy a good guy doesn't kill three men a good guy doesn't kill any men mom don't mom me you are in terrible trouble, Ugo. The news thinks you did this. And if the news does, everyone does. Why is this happening? How can anybody want to hurt you? I don't know. Tell your mother the truth. We lied, Ma. What do you mean you lied? All of us. Your Shirley Six, we lied about what happened after the crash. And what did happen? Okay. See, we did crash. But it was on this crazy island. And we waited for rescue, and there wasn't a rescue. And then there was a smoke monster. And then there were other people on the island. We called them the others. And they started attacking us. And we found some hatches, and there was a button you had to push every 180 minutes, or... Well, I was never really clear on that. But the others didn't have anything to do with the hatches. That was the Dharma Initiative. They were all dead. The others killed them. 
and now they're trying to kill us. And then we teamed up with the others because some worse people were coming on a freighter. Desmond's girlfriend's father sent them to kill us. So we stole their helicopter and we flew it to their freighter, but it blew up. And we couldn't go back to the island because it disappeared. So then we crashed into the ocean and we floated there for a while until a boat came and picked us up. And by then there were six of us. That part was true. rest of the people who were on the plane they're still on that island I believe you don't understand you, but I believe you. A lot of people died, Ma. And now this bad stuff is happening because, well, um, we shouldn't have lied. Jorge Garcia, man. So good. The whole thing is so great. It is uh it is like one of the ultimate parent moments on the show. I believe you is just so beautifully done. I mean, it's uh, those are three powerful words for Hurley, too, right? I mean, that goes back to numbers when he ends up hugging Danielle Rousseau of all people because he felt like she might believe an iota of what he was talking yeah. about with the numbers. This is a guy who has lived this you know very recent stretch of his life feeling like nobody ever believes what he's claiming whether it's the draw of the numbers whether it's him talking to dead people or now whether this this story of what happened on the island uh this is someone who has to have stood in his olden convictions because nobody else has essentially supported him down to his core truths and here carmen reyes is after all this saying i don't know if what you're saying makes any sense but it doesn't matter because your emotional truth is there. And so I believe you. It's wonderful. It's just such a sweet moment. Um, I really, really, really love it. Uh, the recap of Lost is also so effective. Yeah, who, we don't need any more Lloyd Braun-esque recap episodes. Just have Hurley do it every single time. It's so effective. It really, really is. It's just... <laughs> like, that should be the previously on Lost forever and so much of it is like because it's such a ride it has to both be informative but funny but also not lose the plot on i mean it's 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 ant-man is it not it's it's close but but the the thing that it needs to have is also be weighty it needs to be emotional it needs to have those level of stakes the ant-man uh like michael pena stuff is great and very funny but it's rarely emotional. It's just right. like a, a clever, quippy way of conveying information quickly. And this does that as well, while also like being fully hooked into Hurley as a character. 
uh, that's essential. Like that really needs to be there, and it is there in this. And I just I love it so much. Such a fan. Such a fan. It's it's a really really good Hurley scene, and a really important Hurley scene as well. Actually, it's an even more important Carmen Reyes scene because Carmen, I think. When she was initially introduced, I think we looked at her as very sympathetic, right? Because she was just, you know, supporting this son who was going through his own stuff. Uh, she was dealing with David Reyes being, uh, not being a part of her life. And she stuck with Hurley through all the lottery stuff, you know, breaking her ankle after he bought her a new house that then caught on fire. But I do feel like after that, she was sort of relegated to kind of like a jokey character, right? We mentioned this stuff before with Hugo, I have needs. Uh, there's stuff about, again, the inappropriateness of her deciding to throw this, uh, this island theme party for her shipwrecked son. So I feel like we didn't really have a lot of time or space to give those poignant moments to Carmen Reyes, who has raised a very good son on her own, essentially. And much like David Reyes, like we needed this type of scene to remind us that. Hurley isn't who he is just completely independently. He was raised by a good person. And, yeah. and that's, uh, it's especially Carmen Reyes because she believes that good people do not kill anyone. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful moment for her as a character. I think that it is a profoundly important moment for Hurley. Cause as soon as the end of this episode, Hurley is going to, to like turn himself over to the police like he's gonna make yeah. a big move uh like i think that this is a moment for hurley where he gets like sort of recalibrated to an extent of like trust your gut uh like yeah. you've got you've got instincts that are worth following it's this idea of look the oceanic six weren't with you but there are people in your corner and you there are, are spirits yeah. in your corner as well like you have the support to do what is in your heart. And and so that's what Hurley decides to do here. Though he is also following Saeed's advice, as we'll get into soon, with him turning and running the other way whenever Ben Linus approaches him. Yeah, so I, I love it. I think it's such a great scene. I think about this scene a lot. I think that there are a few things from the lie that, like, you you remember. Like, th- there's the fire arrows, there's this scene, and we haven't even gotten to the hot pocket yet. So we're on our way. Um <laughs> In the jungle, uh, the mighty jungle, uh, Sawyer and Juliet are going to, uh, they're going to get cornered by a bunch of others after Sawyer has, like, stepped on a dart. Oh, God, I hate this foot trauma going on. We don't have to see the freaking bloody dart sticking out of his foot, Bender, okay? Yeah, it looks bad. bad. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, so that's going on. We will check in on, uh, on them in a second, uh, as they're surrounded by the others. Let's put a pin in that or a dart in it for now. Oh God, no. Um, not a ton to say with Jack and Saeed yet. This is sort of like the start of where they are going next week, I believe. And Um, I would say that, I mean, you invoked Pulp Fiction before. This is very much, uh, Jack injects Saeed with the adrenaline, right? He's like, (gasps) Uh, except in this time, instead of just sitting up in the couch, he ends up choking out Jack. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, so that's what's going on here. Uh, Said, you've been attacked. You're in the hospital. You're fine. Uh, who knows where Hurley is? Cut to the person who knows where Hurley is. And just like to set the scene, this is at Hurley's house. This is going to be Hurley. Like the the scene begins in the perspective of a microwave as a hot pocket, unsleeved, 
uh, as I believe Zach Brooks was like, what are you guys doing here? You're not sleeving your hot pocket, which I agree is an atrocity. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or even, or even putting a it on a plate. towel or a plate. Yeah. Anything. Uh, you know, yeah, if, you, if your intentions are to say, I'm just going to grab this searing hot meat pocket with my hands, like you are, you have bad judgment. just like junking up the microwave too and really taking advantage of Mr. and Mrs. Tron. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, really not cool. Poor Lady uh, Tron. Yeah, the the worst thing that uh, that Hurley does on all of Lost is not properly protect the hot pocket and therefore you, the microwave. You could tell that he never worked in a corporate environment, right? Like he would be the guy that microwaves fish at like one piece. PM on no, a Thursday. Yeah. Oh God, whoever that is, Instafire. Um, so that's where we begin, and then the rest of the scene unfolds. Let's listen in. Hello, Hugo. Ah! Get away from me. Get away. Hugo, I know you're in trouble. And I can assure you I've taken care of everything. I have a car waiting for us out back. The police didn't see me come in. I can get you out of here. No way, dude. Saeed warned me about you. I'm taking you to Saeed. He's with Jack. That's why I'm here, Hugo. Jack called me. How else would I know that they're together? No. You're you're playing one of your mind games. They never trust you. In their defense, I'm not an easy person to trust. But they came around when they realized that we all want the same thing. What's that? To go back to the island. Come with us, Hugo. And this will be over. You can stop hiding. You can stop worrying about the stories and the deceptions. If you come with me, you won't ever have to lie again. Please. Let me help you. It's a unique look at again these these two guys. Ben's going to ask to be Hurley's number one, and Hurley is going to really accept, and Hurley's going to tell Ben in the flash sideways, right? Like you were a great number one, essentially. At this moment, though, Hurley is not regarding him in the least. What's fun about it is that, like, it, it so Hurley said, let me help you, says Ben, and Hurley says, never, dude. And then it will be the finale where um, Hurley asks Ben, like, will you help me? 
Yeah. Uh, you know, it's Hurley who asks Ben, uh, I think, very importantly. Um, so, like, another moment here where it's like, these are such oppositional characters. But, like, if these two can work together, what does that say about the rest of us? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if these two people can can find, a, like, an honest path forward... Is there not a chance for everybody else? Uh, well, I think the emphasis there is on honest, right? Ben yes. comes in, I think, with the right pitch, which is, you hate lying? Well, if you go back to the island, you don't have to ever worry about lying again. I just think in this moment, it's Hurley taking Saeed's advice, right? And saying, oh, no matter what, never trust Ben Linus. So even yeah. if he's selling you a bill of goods... You have to turn and run the other way. It's also lies a little bit in opposition to the way these two interacted in Cabin Fever, right? Where they're like sharing Apollo bars. Seems like they're getting on the same page with regards to Jacob and everything. They're on that expedition together with John Locke. This is a little bit of a bump in the road to, as you say, what that final result is going to be of these two working in tandem. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're getting there. The Hot Pocket is so funny. It's and a, just it's how a it just like explodes against the wall. Uh, makes me laugh out loud every time. Yeah, the so fact funny. that not only does Hurley throw the hot pocket as a weapon, but completely whips it. Right? He's at least four feet away from Ben's head, which speaking of Ben's head, Josh, can we talk for a second about Michael Emerson's off island hair? How quaffed <laughs> yeah, it is. Of course. It looks beautiful. <laughs> it's so well maintained. Like I, I love the the spikiness, the porcupine quality of Ben's on island hair. But I kind of like slicked back Ben off island as well. Yeah, I think he looks great. I just think he like his sort of like uh, like his jacket, like just the whole espionage Ben look is is really really great. It's, it's a little bit. It's like it's like a she's all that thing of like he got a glow up off island. Yeah, they take the glasses off and suddenly he's a different person. Um, yeah, I just it's really great to see these two characters together. I think one thing that I picked up this time is Hurley goes, I killed them. I killed them all, which is straight yeah. out of the Russo radio signal. Yeah, exactly. And maybe that's why, again, that's he killed something that him. It, they killed him. They killed them all. Connected to the numbers as well. Maybe that's just something that he chooses to repeat. I mean, remember, this is Hurley copying the things he didn't do. So he's trying to come across as like, uh, you know, big murderer. That's why he's claiming more lives than he actually, quote unquote, took. Yeah, I he, killed him. The four people, three, whatever, however many are dead. I killed him. I killed them all. Yeah, um, so another just thing, get me away from him. Another thing is this episode's called The Lie. And what is the lie? Is the lie the opening scene or is this the lie? Because uh, Hurley is lying, um, it's like he's finding utility, and like sometimes, uh, you know, dishonesty is the best policy. Yeah, you have to lie to get yourself to a safer place. And so, right, right now, much like the Oceanic Six felt like they had to lie to get themselves out of Charles Woodmore's clutches, here's Hurley feeling like Ben is the enemy, the Benemy, and so he has to lie to get out of his clutches. Ironically enough, in like the safety of prison. Though, again, considering that Hurley purposely institutionalized himself back in uh, the beginning of the end to like find himself in a safe haven as well. I mean, the fact that he is smiling as he is getting arrested, considering that also, again, remember, connecting back to numbers, he was wrongfully arrested for a crime he did not commit. He's doing the same thing here, but he purposely put himself in that situation. Uh, so let's start the process of wrapping up the episode. Two more scenes. 
One is let's uh, let's undart the Sawyer and Juliet with the others scene. This young guy, by the way, is a young Charles Whitmore. Yeah, he's who, wearing the uh, stolen uniforms of Jones and so are his other two compadres. Yeah, so he's got the gun on Sawyer. He's going to like say, like, all right, well, after we cut off her first hand, you're going to tell us what's going on. Uh, and he's like, what do you mean the first hand? He's like, yeah, we're cutting off one. That one's not negotiable. That's just to show you how serious I am. Uh, so he was going to cut off one of Juliet's hands no matter what. That seems tough to do if again going back to game of thrones you don't have like an axe on hand you know like what are what would they use they just have little knives and guns yeah um i think it's probably uh, a little bit aggressive and oh machete. yeah i mean young young chucky wids is an absolute shithead uh uh-huh. not to be confused with jughead as we'll talk about next week and so i, I think that we see it here that he is like hot tempered flies off the handle and is like even more violent than you could see why he hired Kimi, right? Who he himself is dark and violent. That Charles Winmore, even in his young braggadocious state, is like, all right, yeah, oh, we got someone. I'm going to cut off their hands. Like, I would hate to see Charles Winmore play D&D as an example, because mm-hmm. everything he's going to do in every situation is like, then I stick a sword through their eyeball and out their butt. Oh, my God, that is a path. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Charles Winmore's going to take it. a long and winding road that leads to that back door. Um, J- uh, John Locke shows up and kills a guy, and like, but like subdues the other two, but decides like one of them has to just like be outright murdered. It's like at this point, Locke's like, "I guess I've already killed a person. It's fine." <laughs> yeah, Carmen Reyes would consider me a bad man. I might as well pull the old Naomi and throw a knife in this guy's back too. At this point, he's good with it. I just it's like James Juliet. Nice to see. You. This is like his first significant Juliet interaction to memory, right? Yeah, but like, so since did, just since Juliet is a mole. Yeah, but like even then, he didn't really know her. You know, he's like he saw her in passing with the sub. Uh, I was gonna say the subway uh, with, <laughs> with with the. With with Juliet, the, I saw you on the A train. Yeah, I saw you on the A train. Juliet, uh, uh, with the submarine, uh, they like cross paths there. Uh, they're both. Uh, well, she's not at the radio tower. Mm-mm. She, uh, she's. Well, she's she's in the, she's in the crowd. Oh no, she isn't. Right, she's with Sawyer. You're right. She's she's with Sawyer at the at the beach. She's there when Jack chooses to stay behind. But right. then she's not going to go with him to the orchid to say goodbye to John Locke. Correct. So, like, this is effectively like the <laughs> first time they're really meeting. Hell of a way to meet. <laughs> yeah, like, they've been it, in it, each it, other's spaces before, but this is really like John Locke saying hello to Juliet for the first time. And goodbye in a few episodes as well. Like, they're going to run in the same circles. They're going to become very entrenched as they become now. Now, Locke is going to be part of their time traveling group. But outside of that, uh, they're not going to have too much time together. This is a fun setup for Jughead, which I'm really psyched to talk about next week. Yeah, it's 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 a, again. We're going to be dealing more with these people. We're going to be dealing more with young Eloise Hawking. As Jughead's well. an awesome episode. I'm really really hyped for Jughead. It's gonna be fun. He's also got just one of the great names of the lost episode, Jughead. Well, it's also it's a fun setup as well for you know a, the the big MacGuffin to end off the season as yeah. well, where we'll talk about this. That I think in the moment you're just like. 
what are we doing here? Why are we back in here? Why are we talking about all these these nuclear warheads and everything? And it turns out that that is going to be quite a big plot point Very for the important. latter part of the season. Very substantial. All right, so we end the episode with, uh, one would say, one of the 20 most iconic endings <laughs> of any episode of Lost. Uh, that is an inside joke. Um, we go to the lamppost. This is a Los Angeles Dharma station. Some old... Old Nana is plucking away at the keyboard, just like doing some maths as this pendulum is streaking chalk on the Good ground. Good use of maths, considering that she is British. Uh, the event window has been determined. Uh, and when she comes upstairs, she is now in a church. I believe the church, in, in fact, if I'm not mistaken. I, yeah, I want to say so. I mean, we never saw the upstairs of the church but I, I would imagine it was the same location. Pretty sure this is the church. Someone correct us uh, if I'm wrong. Correct me. Mike didn't sign on to this. Uh, I, <laughs> I do wanna, not co-sign I, I, this. I don't want to drag you down. <laughs> um, so we'll end the episode here with the first interaction between Benjamin Linus and Eloise Hawking. Any luck? Yes. Really? Really? What about you? I'm having some difficulty. Oh, you better get busy, because you only have 70 hours. What? No, no, that's not enough time. I need at least... What you need is irrelevant. 70 hours is what you've got. Look, I lost Reyes tonight. So what happens if I can't get them all to come back? Then God help us all. Okay, why? (laughs) Why God help us all? uh, Because, well, if it didn't work out, I think, so she says, what you need is irrelevant. 70 hours is what you've got. Um, she sounds very confident that this is going to go down. And she's confident that this is going to go down because she lives through the success of this. Right. She she interacts with Jack at all in the 70s. She she knows that she knows that it works because she kills her son and she meets Jack and then they do what they do and she lives through that. So she she knows that it's going to be successful because her earlier life experiences demand its success so if he can't get them together if he can't go back if he fails here then truly god help us all because that means the time stream is effed Mm. so it it actually is uh, a worthy thing for her to say but i think that like the music is doing a lot of work to hype up the drama here because i don't think that eloise hawking is particularly nervous i think eloise hawking is like there's a very fatalistic quality to her role in this and uh, her belief that this is just going to go down. It has to go down. She knows that the other piece of this has yet to play out. Yeah, it's a, that's a good point that maybe the different read on it is less so like, if this happens, then Charles Winmore will find the island and the world will be destroyed. And less so like, if this doesn't, if you don't go to the island, 
then I have no idea what's going to happen because that means that it sends things off on a timeline that makes absolutely no sense. So it's her saying like, then I'll just throw my hands up in futility. I have no idea what happens with the timeline then. I mean, it's a big deal, right? We saw her briefly back in flashes before your eyes as some mysterious lady. We had no idea with whom she was connected to, let alone the fact that she knew who Benjamin Linus was. And so this is going to be the first of quite a few correspondences and really bringing Eloise Hawking into the main time stream of Lost. As soon as next week, when we get to meet a younger version of her, like you said, I think it it helps that Giacchino really builds up the suspense behind it, because otherwise you're like, oh yeah, it's that lady from that Desmond episode. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's fun that she's here. Okay, I'll see you again next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it's fun. I think it's a good ending. I think it, I think it is compelling in that lens of like, it is a disaster if it doesn't work because it's got to work. Like it worked. Right. So it's less uh, so about the Charles Winmore quality and more so about my god the space-time continuum yeah, might break down like if, if you don't it get didn't on the plane. Work, then like everything is messed up. Um I really like this episode. I gave it a 3.6, Mike. Uh like I think that this is just really indicative of the quality of of season 5 that it's just like super 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 solid base hits. Yep. Uh this is just like a really good solid episode of Lost with some great character moments. Um, maybe a little bit slight in certain ways. That's totally fine. Uh, as long as the character work, as long as the dialogue is great, and I think that those things are very, very, very alive here uh, in in this episode. There's some great moments that you just don't forget. The fire arrows, the hot pocket. Everything her, dealing with heat in this episode. You know, her, everything dealing with Hurley. Uh, like, the whole Hurley thing is really, really great. I think, is this a Hot Pocket take? I think that this is the third best Hurley episode. Okay, so behind Numbers and Trisha Tanaka? For me, yeah. Mm-hmm. I you know, would, I go Trisha, yeah. then Numbers, then then uh, The Lie, I think. Yeah, I think that makes sense, right? Because I would say that, mm, I don't know. So you would put that, uh, you, what about the beginning of the end? Oh, the beginning of the end. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Absolutely. So the fourth best. Fourth yeah, best. Yeah, I, I would lucky, agree with lucky that. Lucky number four. Lucky Def- number four. Definitely above Everybody Hates Hugo. Yep. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's incredibly strong. I gave it a 3.6 as well. It's very much on the level to me of looking back to last season, like The Economist, uh, Something Nice Back Home, GE on, where there's nothing incredibly mind-blowing next level in this episode, but everything at least is solid and above. Like you said, some really great Hurley work, especially, again, knowing where things are going to land and the fact that we are going to be a bit sparing on Hurley moments in this episode. We're really marinating in the amount of content that we get, and it's really great to always see Jorge Garcia as this fan favorite character just get to to really make a meal out of that script that he's hopefully microwaving on a plate. <laughs> really great sort of uh, check-in with his family as well. The off-island stuff is entertaining i would say that you know i I wish we would have more on island stuff because the timey wiminess is just so much fun as we talked about last week but again if you're packaging these two episodes together i can understand the balance and we'll get plenty of that next week yes absolutely uh so 3.5 from the audience 3.57 overall pretty close to our 3.6 mike uh i think a, a strong showing from the lie 
Let's get into some feedback before we do a quick word for our from our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch. Those are our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it could be hard work. You know it's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Mike, let's begin the feedback with Brendan Fitzpatrick asking, what kind of Hot Pocket did Hurley huck at Ben? All right, let me look up types of Hot Pockets. I'm not a Hot Pocket person. Oh, really? No, Hmm. I'm really not the type to like... This is gonna sound so freaking bougie. I don't like I don't like sort of the the process of of heating up those those frozen ready to eat types of meals. Uh, maybe I sort of like skipped that phase because I was a very picky eater in my teenage years. That by the time mm-hmm. I got to becoming a young adult and I have a very beautiful wife who's a great cook, I didn't necessarily find the need to do so. So I think I sort of skipped the hot pocket phase. Hot Pockets were dope. I, I haven't had a Hot Pocket in so long. I would crush a Hot Pocket right now. That looked like it was some kind of pizza Hot Pocket. Yeah, I, I would it, imagine so. I think that's that's what... I don't think Hurley's pursuing any sort of, like, steak and cheddar. Well, you know, you could do a steak and cheddar or, or like, a chicken and broccoli and cheese, but it looked like a classic, like, whether that was a pepperoni pizza or yeah, a meatball cool, it's, it's, it's a red or a splotch, right? cheese. It looked, I, like a, it looked like a Hot Pocket marinara. Yeah, there, there was definitely red sauce there. I don't know if that's ketchup. I can't believe we're doing like no, CSI on no, the hot pocket no, here. But. No, I can taste that hot pocket. That was a pizza hot pocket for sure. Uh, Benji Holder notes, yes, you're supposed to microwave a hot pocket inside the cardboard sleeve. We've admonished Hurley for this. Maybe, or not- maybe Hurley's just not thinking straight, right? It's like possible. He's very frazzled. He might have absentmindedly removed the cardboard sleeve and just popped it into the microwave. It's possible. It's certainly possible. Uh, let's continue the feedback. This is from um, Jim Fells, the great Jim Fells. I'm not a big fan of the way the show disposes of literally all the survivors except for the ones that have names. It cheapens the idea of protecting the people we've left behind when there's really just two left that actually mattered <laughs> to the Oceanic Six. I don't think that Jim is uh, necessarily wrong here. Nope. Uh, it's definitely something that I've like marinated on, and like I have had to reach some measure of peace with it, Mike. Otherwise, like it does bother me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, be honest. I, I think honestly, this is a sign that it's season five of a TV show as well. It reminds me a bit of The Office, how there were you know a bunch of random extras that were working on that show in the first couple seasons. And then it became a matter of, okay, either you turn them into characters or you get rid of them. That just happens, I think, with a series eventually when you get a bit longer in the tooth of, all right, if we want, if we have all these other 815 people, either we have to keep involving them somehow, and that's tough to do in this plot where we're trying to, you know, send everywhere which ways and always, or we're just going to have to t- get them off the table. And you can't necessarily fire them like you would in the office or transfer them to another branch. So instead, we're going to send a bunch of arrows down on them. It's, it's a little unceremonious. And it, to Jim's point, I think it betrays a bit just the immediate idea of, like there are people back there who are depending on us when it really is just a handful of people i just think it's an externality of of this type of tv show uh from the great ben behind the curtain ben has uh, a counter proposal ben says previously i've assumed that in this episode along with jughead most of the gawkers are disposed of but in reality there are a lot left in this scene we only see about five of them die total across the two episodes as well that it, as well as that, it looks like our characters end up at the back of the pack, so the ones in front of them ought to have survived. 
Is it possible then that many gawkers actually survived and ended up out there living their own stories of the 70s? That's a rosy spin on it. Mike <laughs> Bernardi uh, spin on it as well. Um, I don't see why not. I think you could certainly headcanon that. I think there may have been a version if Billy and Rodney had played it differently. They could have survived the Flaming Arrows attack, and it actually would have canonically made sense. Like, I do think, like, uh, more seriously, uh, like, the the fact that there could still be people from Oceanic 815 who are then, like, indoctrinated into the others or are able to, like, live sort of Bernard and Rose style just, like, uh, unobtrusively in the, in the, in the wilderness... Um, I don't see why that couldn't have been the case. Either that, or they get to the creek and the army comes and kills them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also possible. Uh, from Anders, Anders writes in, If Whitmore knows where Eloise lives in Los Angeles, why would he not know about the lamppost and the church and her ability to find the island again? Wouldn't that be the easiest way to find the island for Whitmore? Hmm. Could it be a matter of maybe he can't see it? Maybe it's invisible to him. It's like, uh, was it number 12 Grimmauld place in Harry Potter where it's like Mm. squeezed between two other buildings? I think that's right. Uh, I think that's good. Uh, From Lynn, Lynn writes in, One mystery that was never answered and always bugged me is this. What was in the box that Ben took out of the air vent when he and Jack are staying in the motel before they go back to the island? Drives me bonkers that it's never answered, and I waited until the end to see it come into play in a big way, and it never did. Did I miss something along the way, or am I correct in believing its content and purpose were never revealed? Lynn, I gotta say, I've never really thought about this until this moment in time. Oh, there's a very simple answer. It's it's hair products. It's like, I must work on my do. Let me storm. But Jack's going to hog all the got to be glued. I've got to hoard it so he doesn't, this pill popping freak doesn't find my got to be glued in the vent. No, it's his secret formula for a new hair product he's developing called Yah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that will make it that's made out of Bedouin, dead Bedouin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lynn, I've never. Yeah, Lynn, I've never really thought about it. If I'm being completely it, it honest, could, with it you. could just be something as simple as like another passport, right? Like I'd imagine it's part of Ben's day to day to commonly switch out IDs so he can never be too careful. He's just got security boxes all over the world. Uh, yeah, he's got, uh, he's got like loot drops that he he commonly visits. Exactly. Sort of like the sort of like what he we saw that on the island, right? He went to go find that that Footlocker that had the mirror in it so we could signal to the others. Yeah, this dude loves geocaching. Um, Dan <laughs> says, are you guys... I love happy- Pokemon Go. Are you... I like Pokemon... Or anyway. Every uh, day! Every day! I'm so glad. I was like, oh, I don't, th- I don't know if anyone else has heard that stupid video <laughs> when before. When I wake up, I pick up my phone. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> I got to no- catch them Nobody all. please check it out. This weird Swedish kid singing I play Pokemon Go every day. <laughs> you know that Mike just decide for that? So it's this video of this kid singing, I play Pokemon Go. It's really great. And uh, my wife and I sing it to each other all the time. All the time. It gets stuck in your head. (laughs) I also heard this kid one time uh, play a song. Like He became so big that he also played a diss track against all the YouTubers who made fun of him for said song. So clearly you you, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain for your Pokemon Go song. Uh, so Dan asked us, are you guys happy with how they used Anna Lucia in this episode? I think it's fine. It's great. It's nice to see Michelle Rodriguez again. I think it's cute. I doesn't it do, it's it's not particularly memorable for me as far as like all the things that this episode does well. 
I would rather have this than have her be a major presence in the episode. To me, sure. that feels yes. like a little bit of a of a derailing thing of like now Anna Lucy is involved. I think it's cute. Uh, I think it's it's also fun in that it's since Charlie, we haven't seen Hurley actually interact with a ghost. You think, okay, Hurley needs to escape the cops and a ghost needs to help him. Who should it be? Makes sense to be Anna Lucia. It's also maybe planting a seed for the fact that we're going to get so many familiar faces dropping in in season six, too, right? You'd imagine that this flash sideways is in the writer's head at this point, where characters that are dead are leading very different lives. Maybe this is an opportunity to introduce the fact that, hey, uh, you know, some people who might not be alive in this plane still have parts to play in Lost. Um, from Av, Av writes in, the scene with Ben and Jill in the butcher shop is a reminder that I wish Lost had spent more time fleshing out the off-island mythology. Who else knows about the island? Who do they serve? And who the hell are Gabriel and Jeffrey? I really wish Lost had given us Eloise Hawking and Charles Woodmore-centric episodes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Av, I'm just co-signing all of that. That yep. all sounds like super, super fun. Rubber or is like, this is like the stuff, like, uh, man, I wish that they had done like a, a lost comic book. Yeah, like some sort of side series, or maybe like a, a novel series. You know, like yeah. they do with the Star Wars and Star Trek extended universes that help builds out. I, I just really wanted something, an episode around Eloise Hawking, Charles Winmore, Mister Pake. Like, what happens when Charles Winmore and Eloise Hawking leave the island? Yeah, you know? I want to know. Yeah, because otherwise we're we're filling in a lot of the blanks here and. In general, I would imagine, since, again, they were in charge of the island, that would probably lead out to building out this off-island network and how many of them are loyal to Ben, how many is Charles Winmore hiring. Because we're off-island for the most significant amount of time in the show, we are presented with all these things and all these questions, but because we spend such a short amount of time in it overall, we're not really following up with answers. Yeah, uh... I would have loved that stuff. Like, this is, like, the material for Lost 2 or whatever. But, like, at the very least, like, there was some tie-in material that could have been really, really, really good. Um, the great Dallin Cerevo, who is reporting 207 dudes uh, at this point through Lost from Hurley. Because you left, broke 200. Uh, Dallin writes in and says, if you were going home to pack and never coming back, what is something you would bring? I bring Pokemon Go <laughs> every day. Every day. <laughs> oh man! Uh deodorant. <laughs> I guess that's the first thing I'd probably think of. I don't know. You got deodorize. I I don't know because we don't really get a glimpse as to what exactly Kate packed, right? Besides her money and her gun. Yeah, I guess I would like to have. Uh, uh, I don't know. Because oh, I, I, I feel like there's so many things you could acquire on the road. You'd be like, oh, a book. Well, you can buy that. Uh, you know, oh, food. Well, you can buy that as well, as long as you maintain a low profile. There's nothing that's like essentially you that you feel like you'd have to bring with you, at least, well, at least not at first blush. And, and at least not for you. And I think for me as well, off the top of my Oh, head, you know what? I'd probably bring my son. Yeah, that's That'd probably fine. be my one thing would but be like my the, son. But yeah, I guess like the question is if you were going home to pack, what is something you would bring? Asher's not a something. Mm, that's true, but I would have to pack him. That's what a, a car seat I is, suppose, technically speaking. I suppose. So pack your son, I think is a good call. I'll pack mine. My son is my laptop. Ooh. Uh, no, I'll pack the kitties. The kitties come. Yeah, don't me. pack your laptop. That way, uh, Darlene, the gas station attendant, is going to hack you ASAP. As, as long as me, Fox, and the kitties are together, I'll be happy. Um, 
from Matt. Uh, I know Kate left in a rush, but what kind of parent doesn't keep a car seat in their car? Uh, yeah. Mike, are you mad about this? No, because I'm pretty sure... I'm not sure what the legality was in 2007, but I know nowadays, like, I think you're required to keep a car seat in the car through, I want to say, at least four or five. So yeah, Aaron is three and change. They should definitely have a car seat. Um, yeah, I think that that should still be in there. Um, from the great friend of our podcast, Riley, uh, is the struggle to separate these early episodes of season five from one another a strength or a weakness? I think I would, um, I would lightly push back against the, uh, the, 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 this position. First of all, I think I, uh, no, I they, yeah, that's, not- that's, that's, that's something that you will not co-sign. That's something that I will sign. Uh, as I yeah. talked about last week, uh, I just have trouble and this is my own get weird brain separating certain events, especially in this first chunk of season five, because so much is happening and it almost seems to all flow into one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I mostly reject the premise for myself, but that's just because I, I really love the, the season and I love individual episodes within the season, but I do acknowledge a a sense of like sort of like um of of things intermingling and shit moving fast and like everybody like kind of like bobbing and weaving out of each other's storylines and like you can't say like oh that was the hurley episode like you can't quite call the lie a hurley episode even though right. it's tempting to call because it there's a hurley so episode. much other stuff going on like there are several hurley centric scenes but then there's caden's son then I mean, there's jack and saeed I did just say this is the fourth best Hurley episode. Is that not even accurate, right? Like, can, can you not call this a Hurley episode? Probably not, ultimately, even though it, it, it but it feels like one to me. So yeah. I do, I do feel like individuality within these episodes that may, maybe um, some people don't, but I still think that sort of like, there is like this like panicked quality to the storytelling that I think really, really works. Um, there's there's know, some rushed urgency because I think the entire yeah. season in the flash forwards we had Jack's ominous message of we weren't supposed to leave now that we finally know why we now have this energy and it's not just the energy of fire arrows being you know uh, fired upon us but now this idea of okay we only have 70 hours we need to make this happen we, much like we talked about at the end of season 4 there's this frenetic quality of okay we know they have to leave the island but how the hell they're going to do it it's okay right. now they only have 70 hours how the hell are they going to do it um, let's go to the MVP LVPs Mike the 23 points I've got 3 MVPs You've got two, you've got three LVPs, I've got two. I'm going to give one MVP point each to Hugo, David, and Carmen Reyes. Give it to the Reyes household. One a pop for all the reasons that we've outlined here. This is a very easy week for me that I just want to uh, broad swipe Hurley and his family with so much love. I think that they're incredible in this episode. I think all three of them are terrific. Broad swipe them with a yellow Hummer. Uh, yeah, yes. I'm, I'm going to keep it in the house as well. I'm going to give I my two MVP points. I'm giving one to David, one to Carmen. Both parents, Reyes, have really great moments this episode in supporting Mike, their they son. they are currently the MVP leaders of season five, David oh, Reyes and Carmen Reyes. Marinade in that. Spread that caviar, people, because you are living it up. Will not be for long, I imagine. Maybe well, as soon as next episode. let's just make sure we don't give anybody else uh, more than one MVP point per uh, se- for the rest of the season. And then David and Carmen can be the co-MVPs of, uh, of season five. <laughs> All right. We have, what, 14 more episodes to just make this make this fantasy mm-hmm. reality? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
All right, so I have three LVP points. I'm going to give two to Frogert. I'll give I'll give one of mine to Frogert as well. So we'll, we'll we'll ding him with the negative yeah. three. Because he also he not only does he die, which helps satiate your criteria, but also he's an a hole. He's meant he to sucks. be, but he is a searing a hole. Yeah, he's horrible. He's searing with fire. Uh, as of the end of uh, his time with us on on Lost, and I, I the actor's great. We've talked about that, Sean Whalen, that thing you do. Like he's been funny and stuff. Uh, and it's not that he's unfunny as Froger. I think like there are ways in which like he really works as a character here. But he's, then uh, he's like Steve Buscemi meets Sawyer, essentially. Uh-huh. Like that—that's what it is. And I think he has some funny deliveries, like his exasperated tone. But much like we talked about with Nikki and Paolo, when the majority of your characterization is like being an asshole, uh, then. It just it just doesn't necessarily serve as the best introduction to your character, even if you are killed fair. off shortly thereafter. All right, so you gave two to Froger. I'm giving one to Froger, and I'll give one ceremonially to the rest of the Gawkers. Aww. Uh it's a you know a classic. Well, they died. Yeah, they died, dude. Well, let me continue. I guess my own personal streak. Uh, I'm going to give an LVP point to Jones, aka Charles Winmore. We don't know it's Charles Winmore at this point, but dude is way too aggro and wants to start this hand collection. I'm assuming so. Mm-hmm. Uh, for being super grody, I'm going to dock him a point here. I think that's totally fair. All right, we'll find out more about Mr. Jones and me uh, <laughs> next week, staring at the patio as we go to Jughead. Episode three of season counting hurly birds. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really, really hurt. Uh, really, really hyped about this. Uh, I love Jughead. I think this is gonna be a fun time to talk through this episode. That episode is coming out in your podcast feeds on May 28th. If you are a patron of Post Show Recaps, it'll come your way a couple of days earlier on May 26th. Consider signing up patreon.com slash recaps. Becoming a member of the Show Recaps Patreon actively helps the podcast and makes it possible for Mike and I to do these shows as well as all the other shows that we've got on the network, whether it's the Bloom Files, which Mike and Angela Bloom uh, cover the X-Files on mm-hmm. the upcoming 24 podcast, Everything is Super, you name it. You being a patron of Show Recaps makes it possible for these podcasts to exist so please uh help help us out if you can we love to see it and we think you get a lot of value out of it as well um for next week send in that feedback down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com you can also tweet at us at a mike bloom type at round howard at post show recaps mike bloom anything else well, we should also mention, Josh, that uh, you made an appearance on a rare non-post-show recaps podcast. You appeared on Robin and Kivanita podcast this past week for a very fun and very ridiculous recap of uh, the Super Mario Brothers horrendous film. You know what? I would say horrendous is harsh. I think uh, that movie, as I said on Robin and Kivanita podcast, ahead of its time uh, was, uh, was, my, was my note. Uh, it was really fun to watch. It was really, it's, it's really, a, it's really a very weird, uncanny valley movie to watch, especially as a fan of video games. But it's so much fun, and I feel like, like I think you talked about this on the podcast, in a hallmark of an era where there were just all these odd video game adaptations coming out. Right between that, uh, between Double Dragon, uh, between Street Fighter, like there were so many video game 
movie adaptations where, listen, we are lucky that we have Sonic with human teeth, comparatively. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so, yes, I'm on Renap talking about the Mario movie. Check it out if you are so inclined. Mike, what, do you, what else you got going on? Uh, Survivor South Africa is drumming up as well. If you are Survivor fans, if you're fans of other island-based cultures uh, and shows, and you are looking to to get into some stuff, we finally have new Survivor for the first time in over a year. And so Shannon, Gus, and I will be getting together with that soon. Uh, season should be premiering in a couple of weeks. We have like 10 hours of interviews that we did that are currently up in your podcast feed and has Rob has Rob has a website.com slash YouTube doing some other survivor based stuff as well. Did some brand steals, which uh, the, the end of the, the end of the lie made an appearance in a brand steal once upon a time, as Josh mentioned. So lot of stuff going on and I'm sure more things to come as we already are approaching the end of May wild. We're about to get into Memorial Day, which uh, makes sense considering that we're going to get into some military stuff next episode. Absolutely. All right. So we'll be back next week with Jughead, some military stuff. The time travel season continues. Mike Bloom will be back very soon. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. I play Pokemon.